1: Hello everybody and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic
0: for the rap, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh, you can call me uh Rockmeister McCool sometimes. Sometimes.
1: And we're here to talk about something we have been looking forward to and discussing endlessly <laughs> for a long, long, long time time, and it warms my heart to know, mm. based on some of the responses we've had to our Letters podcast, We've Got Mail, and people who follow us on social media, that we're not alone in this. That a lot of
0: people were just as excited for this as we are. Oh, yes. This, this is an ex- this is a, a banner time. Yes. It doesn't come along very often. No, it comes along once every ten years, in
1: fact. We are talking about the Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time poll, mm. which is
0: only released every ten years uh the British film institute and uh, sight and sound magazine uh their publication mm-hmm. uh in an an effort to come up with uh um the best way to come up with a canonical list of the best movies of all time right uh have come up with some pretty interesting rules they ask a large a large uh, group of luminaries from within the industry uh critics filmmakers uh Mostly those two. Yeah, just Critics and filmmakers, mostly. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you might get, like, an actor or two in there. But, yeah, it's mostly mm-hmm. film directors, uh, f- screenwriters, producers, and also a lot of critics. And they ask all of these people, what are the ten best films? Period. No other uh, No criteria. criteria. Doesn't say, what does it mean to be best? Does it mean
1: historical influence? Mm-hmm. Personal opinion? Um... Uh, Do you feel like maybe these are Some of the most influential films of all time Mm -hmm. Uh, Do they cover Important historical topics that you feel Are significant to the medium Everyone gets to decide What is important based on their own Personal criteria which to be fair That's why we have so many critics Mm -hmm. And filmmakers out there Is because we all have different perspectives And we're all sharing those perspectives So they take all of those top ten lists And then they tabulate the votes and then they take the film that had the most votes across the board. It's not ranked. It's not like you get ten points for a number one vote or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just, Just whichever film had the most votes. Men- mentioned the most. That is then considered the number one greatest movie of all time, at least for the next ten
0: years. And they I, I like that they spread it out. Like every ten years. It's yeah. not not uh, beholden as much at, to popular opinion As a yearly poll might be It's enough
1: time for paradigms to shift It's mm. enough time for new filmmakers And new critics to make names for themselves right. And thus by the time That the next poll rolls around The actual shape Or form of Critical opinion mm. and filmmaker Opinion taste Can have dramatically evolved now, what we've noticed over time, when the original uh, uh, Top 10 was released in 1952, mm-hmm. the Best Picture winner that year was Bicycle Thieves. It was. And not, as I have apparently sometimes accidentally said, the mm-hmm. rules of the game.
0: was Bicycle Thieves, not the rules of the game. I, I apparently now, have said
1: that on more than one occasion. That's just me being a screw-up. It was originally Bicycle Thieves.
0: I, I'm will, I haven't looked through the entire history of each of these lists, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to bet the rules of the game has hovered around the top yes. ten ever since nineteen fifty. There are
1: certain movies that do seem to constantly make an appearance, even since the beginning. Mm-hmm. However, every ten years, we have to make room for new movies. Mm-hmm. This might be brand new movies that, it, that it came out within the last ten years. They may be older movies that newer critics and filmmakers have reappraised. And the older movies that are removed are perhaps no longer in favor at all, for one reason or another, or perhaps we just like other movies more. Or, or, uh...
0: Which is fine. And again, because there's no criteria, we don't know why people are voting for certain things. Not specifically, maybe, unless they maybe, say. Yeah, maybe, uh... Like, for instance, The Godfather Part 2 mm-hmm. was not mentioned in the top 100 this in year. this year's list. Yeah. Uh, pretty consistently listed in the last couple, yeah. since 1972, anyway. Or yeah. 74, when it came out. Yeah, so it would have been the uh, 80,
1: 90, and
0: 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, list. like It would have been, been eligible, yeah. Uh... Why are people not voting for that one anymore? Uh, Maybe they feel one Godfather film is enough and they're going to choose the first one. Maybe they uh, feel like it's gotten enough attention by now. Maybe Maybe they genuinely feel
1: the Godfather part one is better.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's possible too. That's perfectly fair. uh, And we we won't know unless we interview every single voter Mm -hmm. and there's hundreds of them. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. And again, as we keep making new movies,
1: we keep reappraising old movies. We don't want the list to be stagnant. Wouldn't it be tragic mm. if we keep doing this and no more great movies are made? Yeah, and we want to keep the list moving and updating, yeah, the, and we uh, want people's opinions to change. And indeed, this is the largest number of people polled that yeah, ever they, had. They Apparently, they expanded
0: the voting body to by about a lot sixteen hundred. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Whitney and I did not make the cut. We did not. They didn't ask us. I like to they think that we us. were number sixteen oh one and sixteen oh two. And if anyone <laughs> had backed there. out, we would have been the first alternates. Oh, that's probably not true. No, no. no. We, I, I, I know a lot of illustrious critics mm. who were not asked for one reason yeah. or another. I couldn't say. Mm. I know, I'm not claiming we're illustrious. I'm just saying if illustrious critics mm. weren't asked, I don't understand the process. But I know a lot of really interesting critics who were who might not even be considered illustrious. Mm. And I can't wait. And unfortunately, we don't have all this information yet. But in January they're going to release
0: online everyone's top ten lists.
1: Yeah. So you can yeah, the, look which, which and they, see who voted for which films. Yeah.
0: And that's, that's not unusual. Uh, ten yeah. years ago, uh, when, I think that's when they first started like publishing it online in earnest. No, I
1: think was it was in... 2002 because I remember doing it in oh. college.
0: Oh, okay. I then, remember yeah. scouring it in college. I, yeah, I remember in 2012 going yeah. through the list and like sort of they, they had a, like hyperlinks so You could sort of like yeah. Who did which film And then yeah. you could vote, Or you could search for a movie person's... And you could
1: see Which critic voted How yeah, many critics yeah, yeah. voted for For example they are I,
0: pretty well annotated
1: I, They don't have that up For the new one But I remember in 2012 One film that I've always Been a little surprised Has never made it Onto the Sight and Sound Top 100 hmm. It is I think a genuinely great film It is an incredibly Influential film And never cracked the 100 Star Wars Star Wars a little odd isn't you'd it you'd think start listen it's a very populist movie no one's arguing that mm-hmm. and the granted the site and sound poll tends to skew more arty and more international it, it, they don't have just it's not just wall-to-wall big studio hollywood bangers but that's kind of a big one i was surprised only like two or three people voted for it last time
0: Yeah, uh, and with an expanded body, one would think that uh, there would actually be like a little bit more of an eclectic mix. Mm -hmm. And there, it's a bit more of an eclectic mix this year. there have been some big changes. Yeah. uh, Most notably, the number one pick has changed, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, we're going to go through
1: at least the top Mm ten. We'll scan the rest of the top one hundred, and then we're at the end of this podcast.
0: Whitney and I are going to reveal what we would have picked. Yeah, if we'd been asked. Uh, So yeah, we have uh, we have new lists. Yes, (laughs) we get to share with you. Yeah. Uh, we've done that in the past. Yeah. Uh, in 2012, mm-hmm. we did a list. Yep, we did. And, uh... I don't remember what we picked, actually. I, I remember mine. Oh, shit. Uh, I don't remember mine at all. My number... When we did it in 2012, mm-hmm. my number one film was Ikiru. Kurosawa was mine. I do remember that, yeah. I think, uh... And after that, I had, uh... 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. These are, like, sort of the essential art house that you might find on the Criterion yeah. collection. Uh, Yeah, 2001 Space Odyssey, then uh, Persona, Tokyo Story, Mm -hmm. uh, Rules of the Game was on my list. Um, Oh, gosh. Um, Oh, um, Children of Paradise was on my list. Oh, it was. I remember that. Yeah,
1: Do you you remember anything? I know Citizen Kane was on mine. Okay. I know Rear Window was on
0: mine. Oh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington was on mine. Uh, I'm pretty sure Bridge of the River Uh, Kwai was on mine. Okay. Um, Eraser Head was on mine. That makes sense. And... uh, In my number 10 spot, I put The Tingler. William Castle's The Tingler. That was a smart pick. I like that pick. I respected
1: the hell out of you for that pick. Um, Yeah, I honestly don't remember everything else that I picked on mine. I assume it was pretty respectable. I didn't go back to anything like that when I made my top 10 list. Mm. There were about... Let me take a look. I'm just going to scan it right now. I think there were about six that I was like, this list has to have these six films. Okay. And then I really agonized over the other four. Okay. Like, I just really was just like, oh, God, I the infinite wealth of cinema, what do I want to make room for? Because we could easily have done a top 100, uh-huh. and they would all be ties.
0: Coming yeah, up with a yeah, top it's... 10 is,
1: is a fool's errand in, in principle. It just basically forces you to either go with stuff you're super confident about or take really big swings. Mm. That's all you can do. Yeah. Those are the only two options, really. Oh. You can either do a whole list with just, uh, uh you know, confirming or trying to add to the canon, mm. or... You can go weird. You can do stuff. I saw. Who was that? Who? Someone. Uh, one. One filmmaker put Kung Fu Panda on his list. You know what? I know a lot of I, people love that I, movie. I,
0: I want to talk to that person. That's a good movie. I, I don't know if it's, picked, would, uh, it's nowhere near my one. top one hundred of all time, yeah. but that's a good movie. I can't find uh, you on it. And uh, recently, one of our listeners. Mm-hmm uh Sammy wrote in oh yes and uh reminded us of our lists from oh really uh halfway through because we did it in 2012 and then a couple of years later we reappraised the lists oh did we really okay and, cool and, uh, what was
1: the last what was our last cuz oh god so, i hope it's not all the same stuff
0: oh well, you did a couple of repeats i actually had a very deliberate mandate on myself yeah, that i didn't want I, was, I wasn't going to yeah. do any repeats yeah. so your list was uh do you want to to do 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Uh, number 10 was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Good choice. Number 9 was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Number 8 was Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. Number 7 was Rear Window. Okay. Uh, number 6 was Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Number 5 was It's a, it's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Uh, number 4 was My Neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 3 was Do the Right Thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, number 2 was 2001 A Space Odyssey, and number 1 was Citizen Kane. Okay. Okay some of those may be repeats maybe so what, what was your list uh, my list was number 10 was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill mm-hmm. uh, number 9 was Gimme Shelter mm-hmm. uh, the documentary yeah. film yeah. Uh, number 8 was The Exorcist Yep. Uh, number 7 was Holy Motors bold choice uh, I, bold I choice. like Holy, Mot- I relatively like Holy Motors relatively recent too. so yeah. oh, that's a big one uh, number 6 was The Tree of Life also recent uh, number 5 was Ohazard Balthazar uh, number four was the Battle of Algiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is Pather Panchali. Okay, the, the Satyajit Ray first film from the Odia uh, trilogy. N- yeah. Number two was Cries and Whispers. Okay, and number one was The Wizard of Oz. Great picks, <laughs> all. The li- we, it doesn't get much more influential than The
1: Wizard of Oz. Yeah, just in terms of culture in general. Mm. It's hard. It's hard to dispute that. A, that's a great list. It's highly respectable. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you've done. Um, we're going to talk about the main <laughs> list. The biggest change on mm. the list is the number one film of all time. Mm. We have had, in the history of the Sight and Sound poll, before this year, there were only three films ever chosen for Best Picture of All Time. Mm-hmm. First year, as we always said, was Bicycle Thieves. Then for many decades in a row, every year was Citizen Kane. Yeah. And it's hard to dispute Bicycle Thieves or Citizen Kane. Those are both practically perfect movies.
0: Yeah, and... uh a lot of these films that are sort of being canonized as the best of all time, yeah. keep in mind that, uh, and this is something that isn't really considered too often when we take, get talk about these lists, mm-hmm. but a lot of the films that are voted upon are, of course, the ones that are the most available. That's uh, true. There is an commercially commercially element of that. available. Yeah. If you, and you can't are,
1: see it, you don't know if it's any good.
0: There are a lot of companies that are trying to keep those these art house films alive. Janus Films, for instance. Yes. Uh, distributed a lot of these movies uh, because they just wanted to keep One of their mandates Mm -hmm. is to keep, you know, what they consider to be important films just sort of circulating. So a lot of important pieces of world cinema have become sort of codified on the art house circuit, the essential art house stuff. Uh, So when it comes to voting, that's kind of the pool we're drawing from the most heavily, isn't it? Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot of excellent films out there that aren't getting a lot of attention, get really limited distribution deals that uh, are from parts of the world that aren't well represented in the British film scene, which is where this mm-hmm. poll takes place. Uh, so as such, there are going to be caveats even sure. with, even even though the sight and sound poll is you know trying as hard as they can yeah to get sort of like a universal guide as the best movies of all time still there's still always a, copy. a smaller a, a, a bit of a small pool that they're drawing from
1: it's all even 1600 seems like a lot it's not mm. um, then the last time 2012 mm-hmm. instead of Citizen King that got bumped to number two number one was Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo and that popped quite a few blood vessels
0: <laughs> in the film community uh, and the immediate reaction is that's not even Hitchcock's best uh, and I actually agree with that I don't think mm, it's Hitchcock's best it's arguably an incredible film here's here's how I feel about vertigo because I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies you've seen way more than me uh, yeah uh, I've, I've seen like maybe a third of, and he's made a lot of movies I've seen yeah fair enough. Uh, I've seen most of his sound films and a few of his sounds yeah yeah uh, and, and I didn't realize this until I watched Mel Brooks' film High Anxiety ah, yeah. which is a spoof of Hitchcock movies mm-hmm. I think Vertigo is one of those movies that feels more impressive the more you know the filmmaker yeah like he's he's like the, that's the film that's at the end of the Hitchcock road that
1: is Hitchcock commenting on Hitchcock yeah way more deeply and I think it works much better as a as a uh, work of self-examination yeah than it does as a film mm. uh so, I, I I'm not think It doesn't work as a film But it's very oddly structured There are elements of it That
0: I think the pacing is bizarre uh, But uh, it's
1: certainly gorgeous It's wonderfully yeah, acted No great, arguments there great, It's not I mean, the, the I'm not ca- going to call it a
0: bad movie Camera's always in the right place The yeah. colors are really beautiful uh, Jimmy Stewart has never been creepier uh, you oh, know, there, Well he doesn't
1: get many opportunities That's but fair true enough. He
0: usually plays sort of like Hayseeds and yeah. honest yeah. characters In fact, a lot of people consider kind of that uh, One of the reasons why the movie Didn't do well when it first came out Is he was so against type Yeah As yeah. a creep
1: Um but uh, in any case, it's no longer Vertigo. Vertigo got bumped to number two. Citizen Kane got bumped to number three. And jumping like over 30 spots on the list, a very impressive catapult. Hmm. Jean Dielman. Jean Dielman.
0: Yeah. And I don't know, actually, I, listen, I know French. 20, 23 key to Comaris, 1080 Bruxelles, Uh You know, you pronounced it better than I could. I, I, Bruxelles, Bruxelles, Uh I don't know if it's Bruxelles or Brussels. Yeah. It's a a Belgian
1: film By Chantal Ackerman It's a a Belgian film By Chantal Ackerman And uh, Jean Dielman Is the name Of the protagonist uh, And The other numbers Are their address Hmm. And It is an over Three hour film About A
0: single mother And her daily routine And a lot of the film Is devoted Just to her Doing chores Yes They will be
1: Chantal Ackerman Sets the camera down doesn't move. Out. I don't think the camera ever moves in that movie.
0: I think yeah, I think it's pretty static. It's think, pretty static for no, at
1: least mode the vast majority of it. Sets the camera down, captures the whole scene, and then watches as this middle aged, single mother, her son is living with her. He's uh, a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, and while he's off at school, she goes about her day. She tidies, she cooks, mm-hmm. she dusts, she takes clothes in to get repaired, she does the shopping. She comes home. Mm. She does a little bit of sex work. Takes in a client. Takes in a client, has sex with him for money. He leaves. She goes back to dinner. If the client takes too long, the potatoes might be slightly overdone. And then she has a very quiet, frankly not very conversational relationship with her son over dinner. She helps him with his homework. Mm. Then he goes to bed. And then we do it again over the course (laughs) of about two, two and a half
0: days. And that's the film! That's the film And that's That's brilliant There's Yes it is actually It's what, incredibly brilliant what, I, And you, you hadn't seen this Until the release, list was released No right? I actually okay. hadn't it was a, It's a film That had always been On my radar I always meant to get to it mm. And I loved that I love Because there, there are other films <laughs> On the list I haven't seen Oh god uh, There's I, quite a few actually Of the hundred I've seen maybe 73 Yeah around, around there, there oh, yeah. Around there for me But there's a, there's a lot of International films I haven't mm-hmm. seen I think I've seen Most of the English language There's long. even some I haven't heard of which There's is, a couple
1: uh, Where I was like Oh that, I need to check that out And to have a film that like, people have been telling me to see this for a while this mm. is on me there's a couple of really big <laughs> it's, it's big just, big famous movies uh, that like like uh, ones people know about that i haven't got around to yet and i've been kind of saving them until there was a good occasion best occasion possible it was just called the best movie ever made and i watched it right at the same day hmm. and you know what not my pick <laughs> okay but i get it that's yeah, a great damn. pick for best film there's
0: ever made. um Th- there's art and the mundane mm-hmm. and there's yeah. ecstasy in everyday objects. And there is a deep well of this person's soul mm-hmm. living in this mundane square,
2: mm-hmm.
0: constantly fussed over space. Right. I feel like Jen Dielman and like the apartment are, are the central relationship in the movie. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. She because... seems
1: to, she seems to care more for it than she even does her own son. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing with John Dielman, there's so many things I love about this movie, but it is a story about, you said mundane, and that's mm. true, but it's also sort story of women's spaces. Yeah. Which yeah. the character of a single mom who stays home and does the tidying up, they don't make movies about that person. Mm. And not only does Chantal Ackerman make a movie about that person, she doesn't spice it up. Yeah She yeah. she she doesn't try to make it super dramatic Like you know what's the coolest fucking thing ever Staying at home and doing the washing No It's actually a story of someone who is Seems pretty content to be mundane They don't have At least they've not stated Or not clear, clearly hinted at in any meaningful way Loftier goals Big Little mermaid dreams Of getting out of this humdrum life Mm-hmm. They seem pretty happy to be doing what they're doing. They enjoy the routine. Their meticulousness borders on obsessive-compulsive. This is what they do, and Chantal Ackerman has respect for that and says, you know what? Why don't we ever watch this? Mm -hmm. This This is life right here. And there is an element of the movie, and I don't want to ruin it. There's an element of the movie that does kind of extend beyond that. Okay. Where that is maybe not as mundane. However, the way Chantal Ackerman incorporates it and includes that just as mundane (laughs) that's that's what i appreciate about that it's
0: it's you might you might call it the hook of the movie yeah Uh, like like the thing that the the handle the um, the the thing that makes the movie not exactly just what you always thought it was the the thing that makes it like the way you would describe it to somebody the elevator pitch of the movie yeah Uh, and um and you'd be missing the point. It's actually not even that it's, important in some regards. It, well, what, it puts a I, button on things, but that's it. What I appreciate is uh, that this that it, like you said, it's another mundane part of her life. Yeah. And I love how that, like, boring element of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I mean, boring and like as a descriptor, not as a, yeah. a, a, a criticism. But it's actually riveting. Uh, yeah. How much that humanizes. Jean Dillman, Yeah. How much it humanizes sex work. Yep. How much it makes it seem as just a, like an everyday part of everyone's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and and that's, and that feels really revolutionary. Yeah. And yet Chantal Ackerman presents it so frankly, it's almost difficult to describe it as revolutionary. But it is though. And I think the mm. fact that it is not
1: presented in this sort of excited battle for Algiers. Oh my God, look at this what Look at what I'm doing. Look at you. Mm. That right there is as daring as anything mm-hmm. because so many filmmakers, even great filmmakers, uh, once they get you into the theater, once he pops in the DVD, watch it on the stream, whatever you're doing, they're trying to grab you. Of course, they're trying to grab you. They want to attract your attention for the complete duration of their film. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. They usually want to do that by pumping up the energy a little bit. Mm-hmm. By getting you excited, sometimes in a very uh, a visceral kind of way, it's an action movie or a crime movie, or uh, it's very sexual. It's uh, a movie that's trying to like sort of like you know get your blood up. Jean Dielman is doing the exact opposite, and rather than ramping up tension or speeding up time to show you as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about this a lot. Your your love affair with slow cinema. Mm-hmm. It's trying to slow you down. Yeah. It's trying to slow down your internal clock. To the point, there's a, there's a wonderful bit in this movie. Because um, we see her go about her routine about two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she goes out in the middle of the day, wow. does whatever chore needs to be done, she goes to a small cafe, orders herself a cup of coffee, drinks it quietly and alone, and then leaves. And that's clearly a moment that is just for her. Mm-hmm. There's one day where all of her chores take a little longer than usual, and when she gets to the cafe, her usual waitress is not there, and her usual table is taken, and there's a moment where she sees this, and she just walks to the next table, and there's the tiniest of glances she gives to the woman who is sitting where she usually sits... And that's like the shower scene in Psycho. Like you're so you're so like in, in, just invested and enmeshed in this movie's tone that just that one slight tiny break that's enough. Mm-hmm. That is huge. You notice those subtle shifts. Yeah. Um. It's a fantastic movie. And again, I it's had I seen it beforehand, I'll let it simmer. Maybe I would, but I don't think I would have put it in my top ten. But if I found out it was number one, as I have cool that's a really great pick i love that i love that there are people who are going to seek this thing out who never
0: would have otherwise but one well, and that gets to the heart of what a lot of these lists serve as yeah any uh, list really this is a list and this is what i did in my 20s okay uh i found several lists mm-hmm. of uh the best, the best ever, movies of all time. The AFI top 100. I, I, I did one the, the yeah. AFI was one of them. That was the one I consulted the least, quite frankly. Okay. Uh, the other one was um, at the time Roger Ebert was still alive, and ah. he, was, he was doing his great movies essays. Yeah, every week or every had, two weeks, he would every, do, other week, yeah, every other did, week, every other week he would do an
1: essay about a movie he considered one of the best. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, he he didn't want to say best. Mm. That's why I called it great movies. Uh, uh, that's me I, I know it's I know Giving it's semi- a synonym But I know it's It's relevant You're right uh, But yeah like. But it, the fact that he semantic, Singles it yeah. out Suggests that it's One of the movies He felt was worthy Of singling yeah, out like, And he only got to So many
1: So the, those are Movies he considers Among the yeah, best The great so.
0: movies So I I, yeah. I printed He was just rounding 100 around the time I caught up with him So yeah. I printed out That list okay. And I also found The list uh, done by The Village Voice oh. uh, Which had a lot Of weird unusual Things I never Would have sought out So mm-hmm. like I, I'd never heard Of Scorpio Rising Before oh, wow, at that yeah. list Or um, or George Q. Hold Me While I'm Naked. You know, these like I don't know kind of oblique short films were on there. That's cool. Uh, so, wonderful movies.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had, uh, when I was a kid, Entertainment Weekly released a book, an actual book, not a mm. magazine, that was the Entertainment Weekly Guide to 100 Greatest Movies Ever Made. But what they did was they divvied it up by genre. Okay. So, it was the top 100 dramas, top 100 comedies. And then for subgenres, or well, guess what they thought of as subgenres? they either combined them Mm -hmm. or they made them shorter. So it was the top 40 action movies, which I thought was a little rude. Uh, It was the top 40 westerns. It was the top 100
0: sci-fi slash horror movies. Kind of. Lump them together or, uh, Yeah because 100 sci-fi horror movies so, No, like, no like all, sci-fi the, slur- all the alien knockoffs No, 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 <laughs> no But like like
1: Psycho would be next to Blade Runner For example Which I always thought bad, is, all right. Those don't quite
0: go together I would have made it separate I've always resented That at the bookshops uh, Science fiction And fantasy Are mm-hmm. kept next to each other Did you
1: have to make up A lot of it? Good enough for me No, those are very different genres uh, Sometimes they
0: overlap Star Wars but, is definitely both But yeah. fundamentally The fantasy is a little different um, uh, I, I think of fantasy I think of like Wizards and dragons And oh. some extrapolation Of Europe Europe In the middle ages I mean and I think of science fiction just... I think of like Starships and robots And technology There's You know what This is a longer conversation For a different time
1: uh, uh, that the, the differences And the overlaps Between sci-fi and fantasy And the way that we take The general concept Of fantasizing About things that do not exist mm. And then decide to Categorize and subcategorize That Until it has Rigid definitions Which kind of defeats The purpose Bigger conversation for another time. Um, but in any case, yeah, that's the new number one. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Uh, let's walk through uh, the top ten. Yes. As we have it, because it exists. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't really think out the rest of that sentence. Uh, the top ten, and we're mm-hmm. going to go from number one uh, to number ten. Yeah. John Dielman. Mm-hmm. Number two, Vertigo, already discussed. Yep. Uh, number three, Citizen Kane. It's a bit of a cliche to call Citizen Kane one of the best movies mm-hmm. ever made.
0: The movie deserves it. It really yeah. is that good. the The issue is it's it's unassailable, isn't it? Like, it, yeah. there, there's there's not a lot of um, there's not, not a lot, a lot of that's dated, uh, dated about uh, Citizen Kane. In well, fact, it remains relevant constantly as long as yeah. there's uh, American business and corruption, yeah. and the two go hand in hand. Yeah. Citizen Kane is going to be a relevant part of the conversation. It
1: annoys me. How Citizen Kane, which is one of the most vibrant, mm-hmm. creative, uh, inventive movies, certainly Hollywood movies, ever yeah. produced, has somehow become boring to talk about because people take its quality for granted.
0: Yeah. That, that
1: pisses me off because I find Citizen Kane one of the most exciting motion pictures to watch. Mm. Every single time I watch it, I appreciate it on a new level. I see new and... detail. I love it. Two pieces. I think it is
0: one of the perfect movies. Uh, I don't like to use the phrase "perfect movie." That's just a, I, a, a choice of mine. But uh, I reserve it for very few, yeah. for very, very uh, few situations. As a young person, you might who has not mm. yet seen Citizen Kane, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, you'll hear its reputation: best movie of all time. Right. And you're maybe a teenager. You're in high school. You have an idea and, of what that means. And, yeah, you watch it and. Uh, you're a little put off by it because it's about kind of adult subjects. It's a little I mean, bit complex. It
1: can be. I saw it's, it in fourth it, grade and loved it. But, it's, you know.
0: it's fucking exciting. It it's is. the camera is always moving. There's these weird angles and weird shots and uh the the story kind of jumps around and there's always something going on. There's mm-hmm. there's not a boring moment in Citizen no, King. It's funny, it's mm-hmm. romantic, it's tragic, it's got musical numbers, like it's everything. Mm-hmm. And uh and yet I have met far too many people mm-hmm. who saw it at a perhaps, yeah, at a young age and rejected it wholesale.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, the same thing happens with uh, two thousand one A Space Odyssey, which is a slow moving film. Mm-hmm. I would also I've also noticed that people and we talked about this many times, mm-hmm. The
1: Exorcist is another one, especially people call yeah. it the scariest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. It's a serious drama for most of it.
0: People expect the evil dead. Yeah. What they
1: get is a serious drama about existential things. Yeah. And they're not ready for that
0: yet. The the way adults talk about religion. The way a a mother might worry about a child. Like, there's actually some pretty heady topics in there. And uh, the reputation of them being very, very good Mm -hmm. almost does them a disservice for a young audience. It can do, yeah. So, yeah, Citizen Kane often gets a bad rap because so many people mm-hmm. resent its reputation.
1: And I, I'll be honest here, Uh-oh. I'm genuinely worried in, in the future, because at least Vertigo's got, like, thriller elements. Like, mm-hmm. people are going to, like, go see John DeLorean, and some people are not going to know what the hell to make of it. Mm-hmm. It would really help, I think, to have a movie like John DeLorean and Citizen Kane and really any older movie that maybe predates the style mm-hmm. of which a young person who was just getting their way into, you know the wide world of film not just what they happened to experience when they were younger um an introduction would be helpful yeah I think yeah. this is something that I, I I one of the reasons why I hope Turner classic movies is always with us one of the things that they do is they present the whole movie you see the whole movie in its complete form but before and afterwards they give you a little context
0: yeah yeah and just uh, a
1: little bit here's what was going on historically here's what the here's what the great significance of the movie is. Uh, and here's some things to keep in your mind while you're watching it, and then we'll reconvene at the end of the movie when you know what happens in it, maybe we can give you a little bit
0: more detail. Yeah, That's why, uh, you know, if, you, if you're if you one of those mad video collectors like I am and you have Criterion Blu-rays, uh, yeah. a lot of them do have introductions. A lot of them have essays. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them have commentary tracks. Uh, and, you know, like any essays or commentary tracks, some are going to be winners and some aren't, but presumably they're going to provide some of that context for yes. you. Yes. But what I like about the introduction to outroduction, intro
1: outro format, uh-huh. uh, is it's short, mm-hmm. it's unobstructed, and it's kind of presented as not optional. You don't have to like open up, you might not even think to open up the booklet on a DVD and read the essay. Yeah. You might not bother going to the special features. But I like, and not every movie needs it, of course, and a short should always be skippable. But especially if you're new. Seeing a classic movie with zero context can be wonderful and exciting in a whole exploratory situation. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you're baffled by it, might have helped. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in any case, Citizen Kane at number three. Uh, number four, another one of the old standbys, always hovering close to the front of the pack. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that is... Ozu's Tokyo Story. Tokyo Story. Uh, I mean... I haven't seen this until the last sight and sound poll. Oh, I'm surprised I okay, yeah, yeah it's it's, just, It was something that hadn't I mean, I, I, uh, I, They talked
1: a lot about Ozu in film school But it was never on the uh, required Viewing list yeah, for anything I, And I just missed it, missed it, never took the time I saw Tokyo Story and I'm like Oh yeah,
0: I get it, that makes yeah. sense, that's a great fucking movie <laughs> I, I, And I, I think I said this uh, the uh, Ten years ago yeah. But uh there, there are two filmmakers in film school that are... They're always, like, waiting at the end of the road for you. Like, other cinema will prepare you for the greatness of these two filmmakers. And yeah. one of them is Ozu. Yeah. And the other one is Robert Bresson. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, because, they, they, because are, they, they are... Because sort of, they sort of refute yeah. other filmmakers and other film styles. They, yeah. their, their works are exhilarating emotional journeys told in the smallest possible way, in many cases. they Both of them are not super stylish filmmakers. Uh, Ozu very famously doesn't move his camera around a lot. He kind of locks it down. And, uh, and yet they're all, yeah, like criticisms of all the cinema that came before it. Like you can see cinema kind of working, working through those, uh, those pieces. And uh, Tokyo Story is a family. It's a family story. It's about, uh, you know, an old couple and you know, their react, their uh, interactions with their family members over the course of I think it's about a year, mm-hmm. and uh, how you know a tragic event sort of marks the middle of it. And it's ju- and like Gen Dielman, it's like it's largely just that. Yeah, however, it's what, it's what with, we might uh, call the slice of life genre. You know, yeah. Uh, Ozu, however, is a very dramatic filmmaker. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't know it till at first glance, but there are. Constant interplays of embarrassment Mm -hmm. and pride and shame in all of these little, completely static, familial dioramas that he's setting up for you.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and your eye you know, Because you're slowing down And because your eye Is now sort of Scanning the frame You start to notice These little things yeah. These little reactions That people are having To one another One thing that I think
1: uh, A lot of people Who don't watch a lot of What we call Art house cinema mm. They watch a lot of Mainstream stuff You'll see whatever's In theaters In the major studios mm. Which is a lot of people Uh And and there's plenty of good films that come out there's no shortage. There's no shortage whatsoever. There's some amazing studio films that have been made. Some of them made this list. I can think of the dozens that arguably deserve to. Um, When you're watching a movie that isn't trying to grab your attention as forcefully Mm -hmm. as a lot of, even the best Hollywood films, and I would even argue Citizen Kane is one of them, um, Citizen Kane is grabbing you all the time, reminding you this is exciting. Slower movies, slice of life movies, movies with different tones, vibes, if you will. Uh, a lot of people just don't know what to do with them, and I have know people who just like, I just can't watch it. I don't understand. I, I, it doesn't grab my attention. If you give yourself over to the movie, the movie tells you how to watch it. Mm-hmm. The movie. Let, let, the, let,
0: the, let the movie mm-hmm. pull
1: you at its pace. Yeah, let, and that's a good point. Follow the movie's pace. Mm hmm. Because you, I, I think a lot about a scene in, of all things, Last Action Hero, Duh. when the kid who's obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger movies is shown Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene where Hamlet is about to kill uh, uh, Claudius and decides not to. And it's him, like, at his table seat going, Come on, just do it. And I'm like, Okay, well, you're clearly not invested in the narrative because you don't understand why he's not doing it. Uh, but B, it's not about just killing people. Uh-huh. That's not what life and stories are all about. Some are, but not all. And if you're not in tr- giving your the, the actual thing that you're watching a chance to be its own thing, hmm. and if you give Tokyo Story a chance, and I context would really be useful to Tokyo Story, especially if you're you know not from I'm Japan. Not, yeah, there's a lot of cultural. Uh, uh, this the, the, the uh, what's the word? There? Distinguishing features Mm. in Tokyo Story that are really helps to know some context. Mm. Uh, But if you uh, watch the movie, the movie will tell you this is how slow we go. Yeah, this is what life is. It's like you have to. We're going to go to a cabin. We're going to take away your cell phone and your TV. Mm. Figure it out for a while.
0: That's the pace. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've, uh, other essayists greater than I have have said. You know the the reason Ozu. uh, isn't as widely discussed in the United States or in Europe as, mm-hmm. or the rest of the world as someone like Kurosawa mm-hmm. uh, is, is because of those cultural signifiers. Yeah. Uh, he's been called a, a very Japanese, Japanese filmmaker. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. but for me, one of the thrills of watching international cinema mm-hmm. is learning that stuff. Yeah. It's finding that context. Another, and if, another, and if uh, yeah. there's something about, uh, you know, the the culture of the country that that film hailed from, yeah. they didn't understand. I'm going to ask around, or I'm going to look something up. I'm going to read a review or an essay that might explain a little bit to me so I can appreciate yeah. it a little bit. I remember uh, you once reviewed uh, one of Api Ethical's movies. Oh, yeah, Cemetery, Cemetery of Splendor. Yeah. And uh, one of uh, you had to admit that you were not familiar enough with Thai culture yeah. to understand what a lot of the symbols in the f- the film might have meant.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's mm. doesn't, it, it doesn't it w- doesn't uh, hold your hand at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's for clearly made for a Thai audience. Which is fine. Mm. I I and b- I think it's important for a critic to admit I don't know of which I speak. Mm. I might not even be qualified to discuss if this film's even good or not. Yeah. Or or even if I liked it. I don't I wasn't uh, I admired it. But I don't know if I got it mm-hmm. on the level that I should have, and you know I've read some people talking about Apichatpong Weerasethakul's mm-hmm. films, and I get a little bit more now, and I maybe if I watch the movie now, I'd appreciate mm-hmm. it on a different level. But that's just the mm-hmm. thing. Did you see *Memoria*? Not
0: yet okay. Not yet I will I need to get around to that yeah, more, more is a good one
1: uh, The next film On the uh, top ten Is number five uh, And there's another one That jumped way up the list If you recall In 2012 There was Some scuttlebutt That critics And filmmakers Seemed a little hesitant To canonize Newer films
0: yeah, like that is any film from the previous decade. Yeah, like in the 21st effect, they, century. They Even the 90s a, didn't have a lot. They they had to, uh, in 2012, uh, they had to conduct a second poll. Just of the just best to, yeah, recent movies. Best so movies this, of the most recent decade because there were so few in the 2012 We, we couldn't get
1: a bead on what people liked uh, recently. So, uh, But I, this poll, one of the things I like about this poll, there's a lot of things I like about it. We have a brand new number one. First time a film directed by a woman is number one. Mm. Um And uh, one of the cool things is there's a handful, like a solid percentage of Mm. this list, relatively
0: recent. That is 21st, since the year
1: 2000. Yeah, and a couple from the late 90s as well. Mm. So I think that's really exciting and cool. I love that critics are starting to become a little bit more confident admitting a movie that's 20 years old we got. We, we can we can tell you if it's good or not. We, it's starting to get that whole test of time thing yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. But even there, are even some films that are very recent, some only three years old, mm. two only three years old,
0: uh, that made the list.
1: I think it's fucking great, and I um, love that yeah, We'll I'm, talk about I'm that glad in a
0: minute. Enough people are confident. Mm-hmm about these movies. Now, I, I would be eager to see in 10 more years mm-hmm. if those films stay. It's exciting. The, mm-hmm. One of the things
1: I love about The side and Sample is that we do it every 10 years. We get to see how mm-hmm. the overall opinions shift over time.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but the number five is a film from 2001. It is Wong kar Wise In the Mood for Love. The only film, and I've said this many times, mm-hmm. the only film that any critic should be allowed to refer to as A-King it <laughs> achingly Aching romance It's an achingly painted yeah.
0: romance uh, I love this movie Whitney's not as big a fan I I, I might be getting in trouble With a lot of the, the yeah. critical community Because I'm just not fond of this movie In the Mood for Love is a story Of a man and a woman Played by Tony Leung and Maggie, Maggie Chung, Maggie Chung yeah. uh,
1: And uh, they find out That their respective spouses His wife and her husband mm-hmm. Are having an affair And they meet And they open themselves up to each other and they start to fall in love and then they have to decide are we going to do anything about this? Mm. Are they going to have an affair? Are they going to have an affair? It is a story about connection and loneliness and how they are... uh, Sadly, especially in certain uh, social situations where there are Mm. rules involved... Um, it, completely,
0: uh, uh, completely linked. Yeah, it, it takes place in the nineteen sixties. It takes yeah. place in a, uh, a lot of the movie takes place in like these crowded apartment buildings, and uh, yeah. a big theme of the movie is people being physically close but emotionally distant. Right. They're like crammed together, but they're still not connecting, uh, and uh, it is. Maybe one of the best photographed movies since, like, Barry Lyndon. It's, it's stunningly it, good it, one. It is such a... a uh, Christopher Doyle is the name yeah. of, of the f, uh, cinematographer on that movie, and he just does crackerjack work. It is, Christopher Doyle Everything and seems to be a light source. It's Ed, really
1: strange. Christopher Doyle, very few cinematographers... You, you can look at a Christopher Doyle film without mm. knowing Christopher Doyle did it, and just look at the color tones and mm. go, did Christopher Doyle do yeah. this? <laughs> and you'll know, and it's gorgeous.
0: And... uh And I I don't know the name Of the costumer But uh, I mean Gorgeous Like two-thirds Of the power of this movie Is Maggie Chung's dresses Yeah uh, And and Tony Leung's suits Like they just look So bloody fantastic I mean
1: this from the bottom Of my heart This might sound like a critique But I actually I mean this in a good Mm -hmm. way Uh, In the Mood for Love Is like What every perfume commercial Dreams of growing up to be (laughs) Like, what they're trying to evoke in those, like, weird, artsy perfume commercials you see where it's all about, like, stolen glances and gorgeous shots that really take your breath away and love affairs that do and don't happen. Um, imagine the ultimate version of that where it is about love and not allowing yourself to love yeah. and looking amazing while you do it. Um <laughs> In the mood for love, and in some respects, it's a rather simple film. You know, mm. there's not a lot of plot to it, even though it does have, at the heart, kind of a melodramatic hook. Mm. Our spouses had an affair, should we? Mm. There's a lurid version of that. Mm. That is not this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a very oh, reserved yeah. movie where there's a ton of passion and almost none of it gets
0: let out. Uh Fr- frankly, I would have liked the lurid version. I know. Uh, I uh, n- not that I need things to have a lot of happenstance. You know, sure. I, I actually prefer, like Jean men I prefer movies that sort of uh, appreciate the power of the mundane mm-hmm. and the uh, the the drama that comes from a realistic place. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is a very fantastical movie because it you know, has so many glittering, wonderful visuals. Uh, they, they play that one song over and over, perhaps, 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 but the original version. They just play it over and over and over again. Uh, my my complaint is after a while, it's how how long can they stare into the middle distance and talk about not doing anything? Uh, I, I want that's st- a
1: lot of stories, yeah. though.
0: I, I understand that, and there's there's a way to do that in a way that I think would would appeal to me a little bit more, I suppose. Uh I, I get frustrated within the Mood for Love. They're in the mood, uh, but they there's there's no love and you know, that's like something we're almost extrapolating from these abstract mm. versions of people. After a while they stop being human beings. They become almost art artistic constructs. Yeah. Uh Wong Kar Wai is setting up these little uh these little stages where he can, like, dress beautiful people in beautiful clothing and photograph them really well, and that's kind of where his ambition ends. Uh, so it, it starts to become very cold for me after a while. I can see
1: uh, that. I do, you know, Wong Kar Wai is a very mannered filmmaker, hmm. um, and I think it's interesting that he's drawn to these really melodramatic tales. Chungking Express also made the list. That's in the hmm. 80s, I believe. Yeah. And those are, the setups for these romances are very hooky, elevator pitch hmm kind of deals and he's not interested in playing him that way and he is interested in a much more ethereal uh, dream state. Mm. Um, I, I think it works but um, we clearly disagree on this one and that one's totally well, fine. I, and and yeah.
0: I, I do acknowledge that my view of In the Mood for Love is mm. one of the le- least popular opinions I hold. I, I, I sometimes
1: mention that you liked a movie or didn't like a movie to mm. someone in the conversation and some if they know you well they go, Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is interesting about you is that you have a reputation for being contrarian, and part of that's your vibe. Maybe, maybe part yeah. of that's the way you interact with people. A little um, bit is that you're eager to, kind to of have confront a little bit. You're, you're I, eager to you're eager to not just say, "Oh yeah, it's fine." Like you actually want to have like a, a serious conversation uh, about whether something is good or bad, especially if you disagree with a stated opinion. But what I love about you, and the reason mm. why I never find that suspect the way some people do, is because I know you always mean it. Mm. This isn't you trying to be contrarian. This isn't you trying to find some way to say things that will excite people. This is just you have a particular perspective on things. It's not everyone else's, and you're confident in your opinion. Yeah.
0: Good. I, I, I have my taste, however strange yeah. that might be. and. Unfortunately, there are other Wong Kar Wai films I would rather watch. Yeah. Uh, I love Happy Together. Yeah. Happy Together is very good. I love uh, Days of Being Wild.
1: Yeah, the other thing those, I love those about those are
0: those are great movies. Yeah. Uh, In the Mood for Love, I feel like is his style exercise, and I love yeah. the style, but I'm not. Feeling much of anything when and I'm watching it from the movie. For the long
1: we'll, long. we'll move on. I Just going to say the other thing I love about uh, how contrarian you are is mm. that it somehow makes me seem mainstream.
2: Because <laughs> in a vacuum, I don't
1: seem that mainstream, but I'm more forgiving of mainstream than you are. Yeah. Anyway, number six, mm. oldie but a goodie,
0: 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, th- this is one of my favorite movies. Yep. I, th- I still think this is one of the best movies ever made. It's got uh, it. It's, it's it's got it.
1: There was some there was some rumors. Mm. So, uh, somehow people heard or guessed. Uh, that there would be a brand new number one. This was the most common film. Oh, a lot of people, people said it would be the new number one,
0: and it, it would have been a great pick. Yeah. It would have been an amazing. I pick. Mean, it's a great movie. It, yeah. It's what's weird about two thousand one, a, a space odyssey, is that it, it's it's called two thousand one. It's dated. Yeah, it, it's literally dated. Yeah, it's it's uh, over it's,
1: twenty. The 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 far off future it it offered right. us is twenty years ago now. Plus, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's like when. Uh, the year nineteen eighty four came around, and they made a movie of nineteen eighty four, yeah. which was written in nineteen forty eight. Yeah, uh, it's like okay, we've we've passed the sell by date on two thousand one A Space Odyssey, and the technology and our fixation on space travel has changed a yeah. lot. Uh, we're no longer fixing. Well, I guess there are some. Uh, Well, we're interested, but we're not. We're no longer looking. Billionaires are still trying to send rockets. We're we're no longer looking at space as
1: this inevitability. Like, oh yeah, we're going to be living on the moon within a few decades. That was a general vibe. Sci-fi was trying to sell us for a long time. My
0: my dad pointed something. My dad is an engineer, so he's very keen on this kind of like the way technology moves in in society. And he said that uh, society cycles. That for many many years we're focused on uh, at least as we did it in the United States, we mm-hmm. were focused on macro technology that yeah. is travel technology yeah, trains, cars, trains, cars, and eventually rockets, yeah. taking us to an, a distant place. Right. And then we went through a big shift and started becoming more interested in micro technology, mm-hmm. our screens, our TVs, our entertainment, our yep. communications devices, and we're still in that phase. And uh, my dad. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Luca. See, Luca, my cat is like uh,
1: reaching up to me to try to get some no, attention.
0: Dead. he's 82 years old and you know, yeah. still vibrant, still working. Uh, he's still an engineer. He still goes into the office. Yeah, uh, and he is uh, confident that we'll switch back around to the macro again. Mm. And I think when we do a film like 2001: A Space Odyssey, will become relevant again uh, because 2001: A Space Odyssey does take take a lot of its cues from. A time when we were more obsessed with looking up. I don't think and that I don't think that it's that it's not relevant. Though. No, I'm, it's it's still relevant because okay. uh, Stanley Kubrick. First of all, he was keen on authenticity, and the way sure. he filmed it is just stellar. And he, it actually looks like it's in space. It, oh yeah, it's more impactful. so than like CGI.
1: When, when people actually like went to the moon mm. after this movie came out, mm. they were asked, "What's it look like?" Yeah, and they said. 2000. It's like 2000. Or space.
0: Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite shots in the movie is um, when the uh, astronaut is floating through space untethered. Yeah. And uh, you learn that Kubrick filmed that by just dangling him from a ceiling and filming him from below. Yeah. So he's just sort of spinning. It's like. Yeah. A, simple. A, it's, it's a simple I, sort of
1: trick. But Danny Boyle, uh, when he did the movie Sunshine, which also takes place in outer mm-hmm. space, um, there was a, a photograph that they had mm. of the entire cast. And the whole idea is that the entire cast took a photograph while they were in hanging in zero gravity. Mm-hmm. And Danny Boyle didn't want to put them in zero gravity to take that shot. Yeah. What he did was, he put them all on unicycles. <laughs> <laughs> and that gave him just a bit of a... Because uh, they're a little off balance. <laughs> yeah, it was apparently it nailed it. So there you go. Uh, it's a little things. It's a little yeah. things.
0: Uh, but it's a little things, but with 2001, it's the biggest possible thing. No, it's actually the uh, it's, biggest picture. Maybe it might have the biggest scope
1: of any movie.
0: Yeah, it, it f- makes the enormity of space almost fit inside the human imagination. Yeah. It, it really points out to the viewer just how, how big and how daunting mm-hmm. space really is.
1: And and our place within it, by starting mm. at literally the dawn of the human species. Yeah, the, the
0: da- they, they say the dawn of man. Uh, the, yeah. That's the Chiron. Yeah,
1: and then cutting thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands mm. of years later to 2001... Mm. Mm-hmm. Nothing else was important. <laughs> we just skipped ahead, yeah, yeah. and then we then we found the moon, and then we went out further into the stars. And <sighs> that fucking movie is a mind blower, man. That's... <laughs> that that yeah, my, movie uh... just that movie is. Um...
0: If like you ever we're... get a
1: chance, I don't say this often because I'm not one of those people who thinks that everything is better when it's seen on the big screen or that yeah. you have to see it on the big screen. You can watch 2001 at home, and you'll get it, and you'll love it. If it's ever playing on the big screen, you see that fucking see movie. It. It's it was... the, the enormity of the scope of it mm. is so much stronger. And I was actually thinking, funnily enough, I was actually thinking the same thing about John Dielman. Okay, I feel like John Dielman in a theater where you are stuck with it mm. in the dark and it's filling your whole field of vision is bound to feel even more immersive than it does at home. Yeah, and we I... sometimes we sometimes give all the credit to like big blockbuster movies, like you got to see Top Gun in theater. It's like no, the smaller mm. movies are sometimes.
0: As benefit as much if not more. I, I would say that uh, the, the big noisy spectacle movies,
2: mm-hmm.
0: people say, I like to see that on a big screen. Why? There's a constant movement on the screen. Yeah. The, the, the scenario is clear. It's going to function yeah. perfectly well on a little tiny screen. Yeah, uh, It's the ones that you need to be pushed towards, the yeah. ones that you need to be isolated in a room with, the ones that don't move. That yeah. benefit from being seen on a big screen.
1: Anyway, we should move on. Uh, um, number seven is another, uh, and this is the first time this has happened as well. Two films directed by women in the top ten.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it is Claire Denis' 1998 drama Beau
0: Travail. Uh, Beau travail yeah. Uh, oh, Beau um, Travaille. Sorry, yeah. I haven't seen it. I You've never seen I Beau Trevile? I can't speak to this. Oh, song, I have. So, um, oh, so tell me about Beau okay. Travaille. I haven't seen this. Uh,
1: Beau Travaille uh, is an adaptation of Herman Melville's novella Billy Budd. It takes place in the then present day. Uh, and it is about uh, a young man in the French Foreign Legion, uh, who is stationed in Djibouti, uh, which is uh, uh, in Africa. And it is about his experiences in the Foreign Legion. He loves the Foreign Legion. It's a it's this a band of men, just camaraderie and friendship, and barely repressed homosexuality, and it's every single thing he loves and then someone new comes into his, uh, or, or someone is in his uh, mm-hmm. his troop and he can't handle his relationship with him and he starts thinking, should I just get rid of this guy somehow? And it's about how that will or will not come together mm-hmm. and may or may not destroy his life. Um, I was really surprised that this made the top 10. Not because it's not a great movie. It is a really great movie. Uh-huh. But I actually think it's a little, what's um, what I'm looking for here? Um, it's small and harsh Hmm. in a lot of ways. It's not something that I think a lot of people are going to find very friendly, but I think there's a weird uh, uh, romance to it that is both entirely practical, uh, but incredibly and almost melodramatically held back. Hmm. like it's melodramatically on un- melodramatic in a weird way and the last right.
0: shot is one you will that will stick with you yeah th- this this is it's one of the ones that's been on my mm-hmm. list for a long time and I, I do like Claire Denis but this yeah. is not one of the films of hers I've seen
1: uh, well the next film on the list I so can't really have much of a conversation about okay. since you haven't seen it uh, next on the list is another one that jumped up the list pretty far and it's also from 2001 and that is David Lynch's Mulholland Drive Whitney tell them about, hmm. about Mulholland Drive well, I give this very okay.
0: needy cat some treats. Mulholland Drive is, um... Uh, it's the other side of the coin of uh, Lost Highway. Uh, David Lynch... Actually, the story of its making is pr- pretty well known. Uh, David Lynch pitched it as a TV pilot. And he filmed it as a TV pilot. And uh, then uh, it was rejected. The, the, the network didn't want it. And so, um... Eventually, I think it was uh, Studio Canal ended up coming in and giving him enough money to convert what he had into a feature film. And what he did was sort of reshift everything partway through the movie and made the movie kind of about not just the identity of the characters, Mm -hmm. but about the very nature of Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that Mullah Holland Drive, you're thinking of Sunset Boulevard, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, the movie and the street. Um, they would, that would be a great double feature. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it as a double feature, Ooh. in
2: fact.
0: And both movies... When you watch them back to back, you realize both movies are about the dangers of believing the myth. Yeah. That... Uh, and and uh, what I find curious is that they were made 50 years apart, and it's the same message. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood likes to sell itself on glamour. Uh, Mulholland Drive is about a young uh, Canadian actress... She's played by uh, Naomi Watts. She comes to uh, L.A. to become a big movie actress. She's going to audition. Stars in her eyes. Very naive. Uh, And... She's staying at uh, uh, an absent relative's uh, apartment building, mm-hmm. and Laura Herring plays this character who wanders in with no memory. Yeah, we see her at the beginning. She's being driven around in a limousine. Mm-hmm. There's like a car crash, and she
1: wanders off with no memory, and she just happened to wander into this mm-hmm. apartment. And, and the, uh, Naomi Watts assumes she's supposed to be there and befriends her and tries to help her get back her memory. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she's trying to also make it as a big time movie star.
0: And we also have a a lot of vignettes that don't connect to anything that are really Mm -hmm. hilarious. There's one great bit where um, an assassin tries to kill a guy and ends up like almost destroying the whole building. Yeah, uh, he, he messes up once like a and laurel, he has to cover it up, and it gets worse. It's and like, like a worse. Laurel and Hardy bit in oh, the middle no. in the middle of this crime movie. It has one of the
1: scariest scenes in movie history, and all I will say mm-hmm. is that it takes place at a diner called Winkie's, which is basically <laughs> which is Johnny's on Wilshire. Yeah, which is Johnny's on Wilshire, and I think it's supposed to be basically like a stand-in for norms because it's like a chain. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that that's that scene is. Scary. That's really shit. terrifying. Yeah.
0: And and there's uh, the centerpiece scene in, in Mulholland Drive is when um, the Naomi Watts and Laura Herring characters grow increasingly close as the movie goes on and they fall in love. Uh, and after their first night together, they get up and they drift out into Los Angeles and we're kind of in a dream state now mm-hmm. uh, because that's David Lynch. David Lynch likes to set his movies in a place that's. Half Like halfway Immersed in subconscious Yeah And they go to A, a performance And uh, In in a theater In downtown Los Angeles mm-hmm. And They come out on the stage And it's terrifying Everything's really dark And it's the middle of the night And we're, we're It's kind of this Nightmarish place And a guy comes out On st- stage And says Every, All the music here Is tape recorded And somebody comes out Playing a trumpet solo And he drops the trumpet And the music keeps going Yeah Uh, And then we have uh, a singer comes out and Mm -hmm. sings this really beautiful, heartrending piece, and uh, and collapses, and the music keeps on going. Yeah. The message being, everything in Los Angeles is beautiful Uh and heartrending, and will destroy you. Yeah. And it's completely fake. (laughs) None of it's real. Yeah. And I feel like that's David Lynch's comment on show business in general. So, Mulholland Drive, of course, is getting a lot of. I think a lot of acclaim for that very reason, that it's a comment, this... Very critical comment on the way show business operates. It's, I don't know if you, you can
1: hear him, but my cat Dante clearly loves Mulholland
0: Drive. Of kind of he was like, here, here. <laughs> anyway, you've, I've rambled enough. No, I, what you you, think I have nothing the, to add other uh, than I
1: think it's a brilliant film. But it's, it's actually, it's nowhere near my favorite David Lynch, actually. I prefer no. Lost Highway in some respects. I, I, I think. But uh, it's, it's great, yeah. and I'm
0: happy it gets all this attention. Lost Highway is, I, th- I think that's David Lynch's best-looking movie. Uh, Eraserhead is still my favorite. I think that's yeah. like him being sort of purist, just doing the nightmare stuff. I, w-
1: I would rate uh, Lost Highway, Twin Peaks, Firewalk with Me, mm. and honestly, maybe even Inland Empire above Mulholland Drive. But they oh, uh, and they uh, say Race Red, Race as well. Right. The more, uh, the more yeah. I
0: think about Inland Empire, the more right. I kind of get what he, what he was doing with that movie. Yeah, because uh, if Mulholland Drive was about Hollywood and show business in general, Inland Empire is about actors in particular and yeah. and what they do and what their craft entails, and you yeah. sort of making up a new identity and swallowing your own is something he's really obsessed with in that movie and that comes back time and time again. Yeah. Uh, The last shot of the movie, it's kind of telling is somebody watching Laura Dern on TV Mm -hmm. and just crying and crying and Laura Dern comes in and gives her a hug. It's like, Look what Laura Dern does for you. Look at all the sacrifices Laura Laura Dern Dern has made for you. If if anyone has
1: gotten snubbed for an Oscar, Laura Dern has gotten snubbed for an Oscar for for at least a nomination for that movie. She she gives what more than any actor can probably hope for. She gives
0: like eight performances in that movie.
1: (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Number nine Ziga Vertov's Man with a Movie Camera, 1929. Mm. Uh, This is the only silent movie on the list of top 10. Mm. Which is a bit of a bummer if you think about it. It's yeah. a quarter of mm. film history, give or take. Um, but here we are. A uh, Man with a Movie Camera is essentially a documentary. Mm. And, but in a, in a more of a Koyaanisqatsi kind of way. There's not yeah, a narrative. It's, it's not trying to reveal a, a montage, story. Yeah. It's a big, long montage of shots and juxtaposed shots and superimposed shots of a city operating as essentially one great big engine. Mm. And I respect it, and I can only imagine how difficult it was to edit this movie in 1929. That mm. th- just once you see the movie, you just and you think to yourself, "My God, how incredibly complicated that editing job must have mm. been." But there's also a part of me that I'm like, I get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel I feel like uh, it makes its
1: point, and then the, it just keeps going until it's over, and it doesn't really add to it much. I feel like it, it, it's one of those
0: things where like this could have been a short. It's you know what it is. It's an orchestra. It's a visual yeah. symphony. Yeah, I know. and it you know that it's able to sort of give you so much information and give you sort of a... a it changes pace and it yeah. you know crests and it falls all through just the sort of montage imagery. And I mm-hmm. think that's impressive into itself. And it it's, is like two thousand one. I think it captures a kind of grandiosity of the urban sprawl of nineteen twenties Russia, uh, in in a way that you don't get in a lot of movies i feel like cities are kind of just incidental settings for a lot of movies mm-hmm. uh, and this one kind of makes a, a city seem like this gigantic construct and that's impressive i'm not saying it's not uh, impressive I, I it like is it, impressive I, I feel like it is though of uh, very much something you watch in film school it's, a little, it's not one that you kind of seek out at the video store it's more
1: listen a lot of the movies on the site and sound poll this year mm-hmm. uh might be considered, you know, a little uh, uninviting, uh, not as mainstream, Mm -hmm. uh, not as straightforward as a lot of movies that we see typically coming out in theaters. Um, This is particularly abstract. Yeah. And I'm always surprised at how high it ranks. Not that it's on here. I'm just always impressed that it always manages to crack the top Mm ten. And I got nothing against it whatsoever. It's just one of these things where I'm watching it and I'm going, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. sure yeah sure yeah agreed and then i'm kind of ready to move on with my life and then the movie <laughs> keeps going for how
0: long is man with the movie uh, camera it's not actually? that It's you know feature length. it's about 100 minutes hold on i'm end. gonna
1: check this out man with a movie camera okay. i just i just occurred to me i don't actually remember how long it is. it's
0: it's not like some long it's not like a four no, or it's or not a four thing it's
1: 68 minutes but oh, it is short. A, okay, it is mind. a dense 68 minutes yeah. it's just full of stuff um but, um, this movie is
0: nothing but stuff <laughs> well, yeah. uh,
1: Again, I have nothing but respect for it I'm happy it keeps doing so well But it is nowhere near my list oh, Okay. Uh, and then the number 10 film
0: Th- this, uh, this was like the populist choice this, think, yeah. this was
1: the one that was just like Oh, let's just be nice and put a fun one
0: mm.
1: And it's Singing in the Rain Directed by Stanley Donen and Gene Kelly It is yeah. considered largely to be Maybe Wizard of Oz But probably Singing
0: in the Rain Probably the greatest musical ever made a lot of people would say so uh, I, I love Singing in the Rain I right. I, I, I People say it's a uh, Gene Kelly movie It's a Donald O'Connor movie for me uh, <laughs> I love Donald O'Connor in that movie Just The, the make He's him right. laugh sequence is really wonderful Everyone in
1: the movie is wonderful mm. Even matter how small the role mm. They're absolutely wonderful Who plays uh, the, the actress with the shrill voice? Oh Lena Lamont, Lena um, Lamont, let me look at the Lamont? Oh yeah, name. hold on, that's uh, gonna drive me nuts because she's she was like the only one to get an Oscar nomination.
0: for Yeah, and it. she's great. Yeah,
1: and she's it's an incredible. If to me,
0: I will see you. Yeah, Gene um,
1: Hagen, Gene Hagen, yeah, Gene Hagen, Gene Hagen is wonderful, unbelievably funny in this yeah. movie. And if you've never seen it, you should. Uh, Singing in the Rain is a story of uh, a couple of song and dance man actors who uh, made it big in the silent era. And then, towards the end of the 1920s, the sound era of cinema happened really quick. Mm-hmm. This was not a slow transition. It was over a couple of years. We went from everything is silent to everything has to be sound.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's about them navigating that transition. And, you know, there were lots of stories of various actors who couldn't make the transition from silent cinema to sound cinema because their voices were considered unappealing. Mm. Uh, Some of those stories are apocryphal But those are stories you heard um, And so it's about them trying to figure out How do we make sound movies And now that we make sound movies What if we make a musical What mm. would it be like to make a musical Can we make a musical And they do Mm. And it is fucking delightful And (laughs) one of the things you forget about this movie And I I bring it up all the time Because I think it's neat Mm. It's a jukebox musical it's all old old hits. There's only like there's only like one original song song mm. in the entire thing, and it's not "Singing in the Rain." It's not one of the ones that everyone talks about. It's Moses supposes his toeses are roses,
0: <laughs> which I think was up for an Oscar, wasn't
1: it? I don't think so. I'll uh, check. I don't um, think so though. But yeah, that was the that was one of the only ones. Yep. It's uh, all "Singing in the Rain." That was in one of the first sound movies. It was mm. in Hollywood. Uh, was it no Hollywood. Hollywood Review. Oh uh, yeah. Hollywood Review, 1929. Buster
0: Keaton sang that. <laughs> That's how old that is. That was an old song when Singing in the Rain came out. Well, and it's about the silent era, so it's yeah. it's a nostalgia piece, isn't it? It's so it's yeah. uh, 1950s Hollywood being nostalgic about 1920s Hollywood, yeah. and now we watch it and get nostalgic for 1950s Hollywood. Singing in the Rain was only nominated for two Oscars, Gene Hagen for
1: Best Supporting Actress, and Best Scoring of a Musical Picture, it lost both.
0: I wonder who it lost Fine. to, actually. I don't know uh Gene Kelly is a very muscular dancer, mm. uh, it, and uh, I, I hate to use such crass terms, but an ass for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, one of the sexiest men who's ever uh, been. Tough. Just <laughs> it, it's, and I bring it up just because it's so distracting. Like, <laughs> oh look, there's Gene Kelly's ass again. Like he's no, proud he, of it. He knew. He knew. He knew. He knew. And uh, he's very fond of a, a, a certain kind of dancing, which, uh, and I've talked to some dancers about this my mom is a dancer and you know some other people some friends of hers uh who said that prior to gene kelly Mm. a lot of dancing was uh very light and elegant and Mm. uh gene kelly brought a certain kind of muscularity to the dance that uh, wasn't really part of the, the pop dancing scene at the time that's fair um, I know little about the history of dance, so somebody who knows a little no, more about ba- it could based on my experience but... watching the history of, mm. of musical film mm. that tracks. Yeah. Gene Kelly
1: is not Fred Astaire. No, Fred the, Astaire yeah, is a don't... twinkle toes, and Gene Kelly mm. is a sexy toes.
0: The, yeah, and and yeah. he was very big on sort of interpretive dance and. Yeah. Uh, Good golly, he loved those dream ballets! Oh didn't my Nate?
1: god, that's my one thing uh, in Singing in the Rain that you and I have talked about—we're mm-hmm. not huge fans of mm-hmm. when the movie just stops two thirds of the way through.
0: <laughs> hey, what
1: if what if in this musical we're making about like a middle ages, like a cavalier in the middle ages and his romances, mm-hmm. he falls asleep and he has an extended sequence in which he dreams of being in New York City and in starting America. a dance career, and he predicts the future with one hundred percent accuracy. Mm-hmm. And Sid Charisse is there And we just sort of Stop and do that For a while yeah, the, uh, And then when it's done The guy says I don't get it And Gene Kelly's like That'll be fine And so I'm like Why did we stop the movie For like this This 18 minute sequence I'm not saying The sequence isn't incredible It is incredible It's fine on it's own But it's, but it's weird It's dead
0: weight In the middle of this movie Th- To
1: answer the question uh, Gene Hagen lost to Gloria Graham In uh, The Bad and the Beautiful Okay uh, It's a good movie The Bad and the Beautiful Yeah And uh, best scoring Of a musical picture Was won by Not Singing in the Rain with a song in my heart.
0: Oh, yeah, that one that everybody remembers. You know, remembers. remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that movie is. You know what? Good
1: for them. They're yeah. in the history books. All Sing of the Rain was going to make it regardless. So, yeah, it's hard to begrudge them. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in any case, Sing of the Rain, number 10, it's a loved letter to movies. It is a wonderful musical. Everything about it is great, even the part I don't think fits. Uh, cool. It's, mm. it's nice that there's
0: there's one kind
1: of just, just kinda, fun one. A fun one, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I was kind of start. Aston- I expected there would be a lot more populist films on this list. I really did, too. I, when I they said they are going to add the, a bunch uh, of like younger critics, yeah, I thought we'd get it. There uh, Empire are no superhero- Strikes Back or something. Star Wars yeah.
1: might have made it. There are no superhero movies on the list to speak of. You'd have to really squint to make hmm. any of them work. Um, I thought maybe The Dark Knight would make it. Like That was my theory. If a superhero okay. movie was going to make it, it would be Dark Maybe Night, The yeah. Dark Knight. Um, we don't have a lot of animated films, and both of the ones that we have were directed by Hayami Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. We got uh, My Neighbor Totoro and Spirited Away. I thought maybe Grave of the Fireflies might make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought uh, uh, maybe a Pixar film, probably WALL-E, had a shot. Mm-hmm. Apparently not. Um I'm trying to think. And we had yes. a fair number of films from the 2010s, and the 2000s. Uh, the, there, there weren't
0: a lot from the 2010s. In fact, no, there are um, a couple though. There was more, more, more than you might think. But uh, at number 30, yeah, uh, was uh, Celine Chioma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: Yes, uh, which it is a great movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard. To, it's yeah. hard to be upset about that. At number I, 60, I, I
0: love like yeah. logging onto the social media at the wake oh, of all yeah. of this because. Uh, Lon Harris, who's, who does Twitter yeah. quite well, said yeah. uh, just last week everybody's uh, you know, whining about details in Batman and now everybody has an opinion on Max Ophels, who yeah, did The Earrings of Madame De. Yeah. And uh, it's like, oh, it's wh- when, when did people get really snotty about I, Celine Sciamma's People People got
1: snotty when movies about women and queer people hmm. and people of color started getting more spots on the list and knocking off films about white men. And I saw... Oh, well, I saw,
0: piss on them then.
1: I, I agree, we should piss <laughs> on them. I saw... Not a lot, but I saw a few prominent... Mm. Uh, 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 sort of postings out there... Mm. Where people were talking about... This
0: is it. They politicized it. And I'm like... Um, Film is art and all art is political. It's always yeah. been fucking political. What you are you are almost, talking about? Film constantly
1: talking about the world in which we live. Of course yeah. it would be. And I'm sorry, when you expand it to 1,600 people... The the Guess fucking what? opinion you got
0: sixteen hundred opinions.
1: You better, the opinion better fucking change. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the fucking point? Mm. Like people and their tastes evolve, and different kinds of movies get made and appreciated. Moonlight is number sixty, fucking awesome. Parasite mm. is number ninety, fucking awesome. Mm. Get out is number ninety five, mm. fucking awesome. There's a ton of stuff that's been left out. It's only 100 movies. Dead. But I'm not mad. There's I don't think there's anything in the movie... And there's a, I'm looking at this list right now. Oh. Uh-huh. And I'm seeing... Dante, are you trying to buzz someone into the apartment? He's going after He's my gonna... squawk box. He's <laughs> trying to press buttons on my squawk <laughs> <spotless>. um, <laughs> box. He ordered some petnip. I can't think of anything on this list, and I'm looking over it right now, where I would be like, I don't get it. Uh-huh. I don't understand why this is here. I think this is a weird choice. Well, and there's a few movies I don't uh-huh. like... We oh, talked oh, yeah. about uh, uh, Godard's uh, "Histoire du Cinéma." Mm. I get it. Mm. I don't actually like it. <laughs> I don't actually think it's all that. I don't. It doesn't blow my mind the way it blows everyone mm. else's mind. I find it frustrating and repetitive, and in a <laughs> it's, not very it's in a wild, not very yeah. illuminating way. Uh, I think I, I, I think I'm it's an annoying film actually. Uh, but I understand yeah. why it's here. I get why people think it's great. It's, I, I'm I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong, or they're wrong
0: and I'm right. But the takes are valid. Mm anything in your that really stood out for you like I was glad that Cleo from 5 to 7 the Agnes Varda film was as high as it was it made it came in at number 14 very close to the top Um, 10 yeah and Maya Darren's Meshes of the Afternoon was 16, so that yeah. you know, those were really high on the I've list. I've never
1: seen Meshes in the Afternoon. Haven't you? No, no, did that's a short, too, And Yeah, didn't we like
0: like watch... Uh, uh, yeah, Maya Darren made shorts. Yeah. Uh, didn't we watch some Maya Darren films? We might have. I don't point? think we watched uh, that one. No, right. Maybe
1: I'll watch it and have a distinct sense of deja vu, but I don't think I saw that one.
0: I, I was surprised at uh, the absence of some notable filmmakers. Robert Altman isn't in the top 100. Luz Well wasn't in the top 100. Yeah, uh, yeah. And not that that there's anything shameful about that, but it it, it kind of surprises me. There's a hundred spots, and
1: it's weird. Like I'm trying to think of what Altman would be
0: on there. Probably Nashville. Probably not. Or McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, Um, Uh, that's not a film I like, but I know it's really celebrated. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Uh, I I, I'm a bigger fan of in his filmography of. I get a lot of shit for this Popeye, uh, but also <laughs> the long goodbye. Popeye. Now that I've finally seen it, it's, long goodbye is It's excellent. definitely right up there in his in his work. Popeye is shit. Dude. I, I, it's the it's I, my I hate Popeye, shit. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, Popeye, I'm really yeah. happy that Eight and a Half fell way the fuck off the top ten. It's still mm. at number thirty one. That's way too high for me. Mm. Because it's on the list. (laughs) But I also understand why people love it. So Mm -hmm. I'm not mad about it. It's just not to my
0: taste. Um, Bicycle Thieves was way down in the 40s. 41. Tied Uh, for 41. Kurosawa seems to have fallen out of favor. Maybe he's like a little bit too much of a gimme now. What's interesting is that there are certain
1: filmmakers who used to have a ton of films on the list. Like, I think the, the last Ku- time Kubrick, Hitchcock, Wells, I think last time well. Wells actually had the most films on the list and he has only, I think, two now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even one.
0: Dreyer to has a couple. Dude, yeah. Tater Dreyer. There's only two
1: Kurosawa films on the top 50 and it's Rashomon and Seven Samurai. Makes sense. Those
0: are, yeah, great movies. I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Um, um, happy to see The Piano. <laughs> the James Yeah, Campion's that's a piano. cool one, right? Uh, the more I think about The Power of the Dog, the mm. more I like it and the more astonished I am by it. Yeah, it's uh, a great film. I feel like that's one that we're going to start reconsidering pretty soon.
1: I think, it, it, given the glut of award season and how Coda kind of just came along and swept everyone away, no disrespect to Coda. It's a lovely film. Uh, Coda's but I, very sweet. It's, I,
0: it's, I, it, it, it does not... It deserves awards. It's it fine. deserves it's awards. Fine, it's, yeah.
1: it's it's wouldn't have been my pick, but it's it's a it's a lovely film, and I'm not mad that it won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I think Power of the Dog is going to age very very well, and I yeah. think it's it, it's going to be appreciated more and more over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm looking uh, for
0: like genre films, and I'm very lo- few. By the time we get down to, into the '50s, yeah, uh, you got Blade Runner, mm-hmm. uh, the Ridley Scott movie. Yep,
1: um, Blade Runner's is there. Once Upon a Time in the West is at 95, tied with Get Out mm-hmm. and The General. And all of those, I would argue, are genre films of a sort. The General is a chase movie, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a broad comedy. Uh, Once Upon a Time um, in the West is, I mean, it's a fucking masterpiece in yeah, Sergio Leone. And, 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 and movies, Get Out uh, is, a really, is one yeah. of those horror movies where you watch it over and over and over again, and it always gives you something more. I will say I am disappointed in the lack of horror movies on the list. We got yeah. Get Out and The Shining made it, which kind of surprised me. Mm. But no The Exorcist.
0: Yeah, Isn't no, that kind of weird. No, no Frankenstein. No No Caligari. Uh, no, no, Nosferatu, uh, no Nosferatu. Yeah, it's, it's, there's some say, weird uh, omissions in the in the horror department. Like, if, if you're into horror, yeah. you, I mean Nosferatu is like in a very real sense a must see. It's like there's, one of the cornerstones. of the I,
1: genre. I, I I wrote something up and I don't know if it's been published yet. That's basically just like hey, I'm not I'm not even complaining because it's a great list and nothing was gonna, n- there's no way everything was going to make the cut. Mm-hmm. We need to start respecting horrible matter because there there was room for a few more. Yeah. yeah. That absolutely deserved a place on here and See, they just, um, they just, people don't seem that interested and it pisses me off.
0: I don't know Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust. I haven't seen that one. I it don't know amazing. the film Wanda which was on no, this list. That's no, not a no, film no. I'm familiar with at all. Yep. Um, Casablanca is at number fucking sixty three. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, that seems low. But again, seems, yeah. that seems low if you go for that sort
1: of AFI top one hundred yeah. list, which is very America well, and, and very studio system forward. Uh, yeah, so if, yeah. as as it is, however, one of only a handful of studio of like Hollywood studio system, especially old time Hollywood studio system mm. films that made the cut. Yeah. So if you look at it as them saying it's one of like the eight best Hollywood
0: studio systems movie eight mm-hmm. movies ever, still fair. Uh, you might notice there are a lot less films from the 1940s in general. Yeah. Uh, and you and I just, uh, we, we have a, a podcast called Only the Best. We do yeah. all of the best picture nominees and we just finished 1949. So we just went through the 40s. Yeah. And that was... Often as I was a youth and when I went to film school, considered the golden age of Hollywood. That's when yeah. you know the the golden age of the studio system, when big stars came up. All, sure. Everything we refer to about sort of glamour in Hollywood kind of eventually settle, 40s, settles settles yeah. back to sort of the nineteen forties. Yeah. And it was actually kind of a really spotty decade for best <laughs> picture nominees. There were some really great ones, right. and there were some completely forgettable but there were pieces of trash there were plenty of great movies though
1: oh yeah i mean we had uh uh shoeshine bicycle thieves mm. the third man all um, um best years of our lives mm. citizen kane uh there were tons of great movies uh but for whatever reason a lot of them didn't get nominated for best picture but you're right and not every decade can be equally mm. uh, uh represented it'd be weird if it was uh, but, yeah, there's but there's always going to be a ton of stuff missing. What I love about this list is that it is more diverse than usual. Mm. Doesn't seem like it's the same ten critics picked everything. You know, there's a lot of different opinions and personalities. Great films fell off the list. They'll be fine. More great films made it on the list. Some One could argue that something like uh, uh, Moonlight or, or uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire, this canonizes them. Mm. And I've seen some people say, is it too soon? Now, well let's see we'll, we'll find out but like <laughs> we'll find we, out in 10 years just best, be patient i mean if you think about it like think of all the movies that were i, th- I think made this list in previous generations mm-hmm. that didn't now think about all the movies that were considered some of the best movies ever made regardless of whether on the side and sound pole, that are not now for various reasons because tastes change and our awareness changes gone with the wind was often considered one of the best movies mm-hmm. ever made and there's no denying it's a handsome production like oh, yeah. it's huge. It's, costumes are amazing. Yeah, Turns t- yeah, just a, yeah. production value is through the roof. But it's in many respects, it's completely grotesque, and we've outgrown yeah, it in many in, in many ways.
0: You'll notice um, it, it was so frustrating, and we've talked about this plenty yeah. of times before about how uh, the movie Birth of a Nation, yeah, uh, the D.W. Griffith movie, mm-hmm. was uh, even when we were going to film school, yeah. still being taught pretty passionately.
1: Yeah, uh, there was. We didn't, a, we didn't. They didn't screen pretty, it for us, but they, we were right. told it was still significant. Mm-hmm. It's like the first feature length movie. It was not
0: uh, first show of the White House. It wasn't.
1: Yeah, it was the first movie that combined all of these filmmaking techniques. It was not. Uh, it was dramatically over credited
0: mm-hmm.
1: for being historically significant when what it was was merely very popular at the time. Yeah. amongst racists, um, and there were and there were protests at the time. This is not a new invention.
0: No, no, no. People
1: it, complained at the time that that movie fact, was super fucking racist. Uh,
0: Griffith, uh, the story goes, mm. made the movie Intolerance mm-hmm. after uh, the backlash to yeah. Birth of a Nation. and I he was tried, to, tried to say, wait a minute, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell this story all about mm-hmm. Intolerance. This and is actually, try, this is going to be my antidote to uh-huh. Birth of a Nation. And that is apocryphal,
1: it turns out. Is That's it? a story I had heard in film school as well. He made mm. Intolerance... To apologize to Birth of a Nation, so that's what we're going to watch Intolerance instead. Uh, Intolerance also not on this list, you might notice. Uh, Intolerance was made because he felt put upon and wanted to say, hey, you're being very intolerant of me. <laughs> well, fucker. Yeah, kind of a fucker, right? <laughs> so... The more we become aware of and highlight different elements of various classic films, many of which with things to recommend them, uh-huh. the more we don't want to put them in the canon anymore sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so and sometimes films just aren't as popular anymore. Mm-hmm. That that's just, that's just life. So this is a new and exciting list, and I love it to pieces, and we're going to keep talking about it, I'm sure, as time goes on. I'm very curious to hear what other people's opinions are mm-hmm. of the Sight and Sound poll. And before we get into our top ten list, these are the films we would have voted for. I want to tell people now, uh, firstly, enjoy
0: these commercials. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0-1 to one grams of net carbs, 5-11 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. And if Those were you, some good commercials.
1: And if you're listening to us on our Patreon page where you don't have to listen to the commercials, that was just a weird pause in the episode. <laughs> now, well, the other thing I want to say...
0: Thanks for for, But thank you for tolerating our mid-roll. It helps, thank you so helps us keep the lights on.
1: really does. Uh, but uh, the other thing I wanted to say is please email us and tell us what you thought. And, and feel free to share your own top ten lists as well. Mm. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net.
0: We also have a P.O. Box. Yeah, send us uh, an actual physical letter, P.O. Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Please mail in your top ten lists. Yeah. We love that.
1: We want to read them. So... Please let us know what you would have picked if the if the honor was on you. And remember, this is for posterity. That is,
0: whatever that means for you, mm-hmm. you get to choose the criteria. And are I want to talk about choosing, our criteria uh, as well. The, the best movies of all time? Yeah. Are you choosing just your favorite? Because those aren't necessarily the same things.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so, with that said, uh-huh. let's present
1: our list uh, of the top okay. ten. And I want to talk about where your head was at Okay. when you came up with your list. Because I'll tell you where mine was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... Decided that I'm going to reserve about half the list okay. for movies that I can argue okay. that I think actually are genuinely that great and deserve to be on the list and stay on the list because they're genuinely that great. Mm-hmm. I will allow myself to cement a few legacies, yeah. and then I decided that the other half, whatever I fucking want, it's films <laughs> that I even if no one else votes for them, I want um, them to get a, I want them to get on there. And these are all films that I think have an argument that could be. They belong in a top ten of all time. Yeah. But I also acknowledge that there are hundreds of those. So I had to pick my battles. My runners-up list is absurd. Uh, and it was it was really, really tricky. So anyway, there's five that might feel kind of safe. Mm. And
0: another six that are me taking swings. Uh, I, I have a few... Another, uh, another five, sorry. Yeah. Another five, yeah. I have a few unassailable class. My... All ten of mine were whatever the fuck I wanted. Okay. Um, because it's my list. It is your list. Uh, and the idea of uh, requiring certain kinds of films for posterity is just pressure we put on ourselves. Granted. Uh, and Granted. I also, but I also believe that I, I didn't. My point. My point is this: I didn't want to
1: not put a film on my list just because it's an all-time classic. Okay. So I'm not when I when I thought to myself, oh, this movie is one of the best movies I've ever made, and then my next thought was, that's probably going to be on there anyway, mm. and then I thought to myself. Yeah, but I'm putting it on there anyway. <laughs> so I'm just—I allowed myself that, but I didn't want to only do that. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure I was—I had a healthy combination
0: of both because some of the old ones made the list. Yeah, That's I, I have some old classics, and I also once again wanted to avoid repeating myself. Uh, just you no, know, uh, just, just pick whatever. This is what. Here's here's my question. Here's, uh-huh. here's why. Here's why I question that.
1: Mm-hmm. This is what you would have voted for. They're not going to go back to your old podcasts and say, like, well, you also like these. Yeah. You, you don't, that, that's, well, for, that's for you. Yeah. That's not for posterity. That's for you, though.
0: Well, and I also acknowledge that this is uh, a way to bring attention to movies okay. that aren't necessarily getting attention. All right. Uh, it, it's possible to vote for a film because you want others to see
1: mm-hmm.
0: that it should be considered as one of the best films of all time when it often isn't. Yeah, and that's uh, I've got a few of those as well. Yeah. yeah okay um uh, no i did not put gremlins to the new batch on my list i'm actually surprised and disappointed <laughs> <laughs> i assumed you would I mean, there's a great argument to be made for that i i i did we did a commentary track for gremlins Two: the new yep. batch uh it's it was one of my favorite movies when i was, I was 11 and mm. i go back and i realize how profoundly self-reflexive it is as a piece of cinema it is it's great also, it just has some of the best special effects. All those creatures are just fascinating to look at. Yep, it's uh, a live-action Chuck Jones cartoon. Yep, it is <laughs> to the point where Daffy Duck actually shows up. Mm. <laughs> Chuck Jones is in the first Gremlins. Yeah, he's not in this one, but he yeah. Uh, yeah, Mel Blanc is in it. I think it was one of the last things he did. Yeah, oh, I think it is actually. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think I think I think they got him out of retirement actually. Um, Uh, Joe Dante would have been able to Yeah
1: Uh, So in any case Here's what we're going to do If you're familiar with our podcast The Iron List We're going to do it a little differently In the Iron List We don't rank things Hmm. Here And even though It turns out the Sight and Sound Poll Doesn't rank things You don't have to submit a ranked list You just 1 to 10 is fine Uh for the sake of coming up with some kind of order, and also because we both kind of thought you were supposed to rank them, <laughs> we we did. Yeah. So we're gonna put our ten to one. Don't put too much too much emphasis on the ranking, but if we you know had a gun to our head, this is what we would have picked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitney, what is your number ten, and tell
0: us your rationale. Uh- I'm fond of, uh, I think cinema is uniquely suited to uh, surrealism, to dreamlike imagery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bunuel has famously said that uh, cinema resembles dreams. Uh, And it's almost like in recreating these images very technically, very complicatedly, we're getting actually a a much straighter view into consciousness and the way somebody dreams, uh, their philosophies, their views of their baser desires their baser impulses their uh really bizarre associations with faith and the planets and science fiction and one of the most ambitious films to do on such a massive scale is Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain okay bold choice uh I love The Holy Mountain uh it 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 took me by surprise I had never heard of Jodorowsky until I got to college uh is a, a Chilean filmmaker, and he he's often credited as making the very first midnight movie. He made a film called *El Topo*, which uh, some film programmer in New York decided to run after hours. Uh, he has he's gone on record saying that his films should function the same way acid does. Yeah, you should watch one of these movies instead of taking LSD. Yeah, uh, saves a
1: lot
0: of money. I, I, guess, and time. I guess I guess compared Acid's to the, can take like a whole day or more. Yeah, I. I, I I've never taken acid, but I've seen right. Jodorowsky movies. <laughs> so you've got the gist. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, at least I have a primer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I The Holy Mountain is a fable about a Christ figure who goes into a corrupt world, and of course every uh, person he meets is a symbol for some sort of corruption in the modern world, and he ends up going to this giant tower that's in the middle of the town, and he rides up on a a gigantic fishhook, and people worship the tower, and what's up in the tower? But Jodorowsky himself, playing the grand spiritual master and inducts Christ into this cadre of planetary gods, essentially, they're... They're each named, uh, after, they each, like, rule over a different planet in the cosmos, and there's a lot of this zodiac imagery, and we get vignettes as to what life is like on their home planet, uh, and each one represents, like, a different, uh, facet of humanity, one is about aggression, one is about sensuality, etc., etc. but he also has, uh, you know, takes time, to, uh, a little bit of time to alchemically turn Christ's shit into gold, mm-hmm. uh, He's got a lot of big ideas. And of course it ends on this really kind of fun, self-reflexive note. Um, it'll blow your fucking mind, man. Oh yeah, it's one of the
1: trippiest movies yeah, out there. Yeah. Uh,
0: in, in, and I like uh, that kind of trippy movie. And you'll find, if you go like into the... If you delve into the trenches of something like something weird video, yeah. you'll find a lot of these kinds of psychedelic drug movies. But those movies didn't have any money.
2: <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of
0: ambition. They're just trying to you know, be a little bit more of an exploitation movie. This... Uh, the Holy mountain is takes a lot of the cues from those like psychedelic drug movies that came before this movie came out in
2: 1974
0: mm. uh, and turns it into what I think a lot of the ambitions were of those movies to explode the human mind to unlock ideas of, of religion and sexuality what does it mean fuck if I know <laughs> but there's a lot to discuss and uh, I really dig just sort of the aggression of his surreal imagery how off-putting he's trying to be a lot of the time uh, he's a really really interesting filmmaker I oh, uh, didn't make yeah. my
1: list but I respect it mm-hmm. I respect it uh, my number 10 uh, is a film that is one of my favorite movies okay uh, but it's a film that I I was like, I should put this on the top 10 list, and I decided that I should because there is a general tendency, and this did bear out, to eschew mainstream Hollywood-type films. Yes. Action movies, mm-hmm. blockbusters. Uh, and I get it. Mm-hmm. However, I do believe that there is so much effort and talent and money, obviously, and time invested in those genres that it would be disappointing if None of them Uh achieved true greatness. And so I would argue, and I can see counter-arguments. There's definitely competition. That perhaps the greatest Hollywood mainstream studio picture. It gives you the thrills. It gives you uh, the excitement. It gives you broad entertainment. But it's also genuinely smart and gives you something to think about.
0: RoboCop I'm glad you chose RoboCop I was right? this close to putting RoboCop oh I, I it. didn't put RoboCop on my list But I was really close to putting RoboCop Obviously on the my original list. RoboCop
1: 1987 Directed by Paul Verhoeven RoboCop is a stupid name for
0: a movie it was mocked at the time. It was it's it's ludicrous, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it it's about like a robot a, cop. How it, you? It sounded like some sort of like '50s B movie. It sounds it sounds
1: like a comic book that would last three issues. Like it's <laughs> not a, it's not a great name. It's not even a great premise on the surface, and yet the actual film that we got out of it mm. is talking about what happens when we commodify everything? What happens yeah, it's, it's, when the... the
0: commodification po- of, of the law. Yeah. It's about the commodification of uh, crime. What it's is about the commodification n- of the very body.
1: What was the 1980s, and indeed the aftermath of the 1980s, except capitalism run amok? Mm-hmm. Like, it was always part of the American system, but uh, it started getting deregulated more, and it started controlling our lives more, and if we privatized the police, which is the inciting incident, basically, for the movie... Uh, then the police, it argued, becomes property of a corporation. And a police officer dies in the line of duty and they say, hey, you know what? He's we property have, now. We yeah. have his corpse. Fuck it. Let's make him a cyborg and then we'll have an unstoppable law enforcement machine that does whatever we want and will allow us to break the law whenever we want to because we own him. And it is about losing your identity to a corrupt capitalist system. It is also... Fucking badass! It, it's a legitimately it's, cool action movie, full of amazing uh, action sequences, awesome visual effects. Ed Two Hundred Nine is a glorious movie monster. The Robocop you know, looks, suit just looks cool um, uh, and Phil, sounds
0: cool. Uh, I think it was Phil Tippett who did the, the Ed Two Hundred Nine. Um, I think so. I could be wrong. Uh, but uh, I'll look that it, up. It's. It's not, it's not the badassery that stands out for me with Robocop. No, it's the it's, it's overwhelming an, fucking violence. It is yeah. It is a ghastly movie. It, there, uh, Hollywood movies were getting increasingly violent, like mainstream
1: action movies in the Schwarzenegger mm. and Cobra era with Stallone. Uh, and Paul Verhoeven made
0: the most violent of all, and it's a comment on it. Yeah. It's it's, basically the like, the violence is a big part of the movie, yeah. and I feel like... The movie thinks it's funny, but the movie's yeah, was, sense of humor is mean. Yeah. And so even and that, when that, well, you're at home, the other you can't thing. miss it. It's, it's actually... Like, uh, that's more
1: violent than it needed to be. Holy shit. People don't just get shot. Their chests explode uh,
0: in gore. Like, holy fuck. It's so like Peckinpah would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Tone it the fuck uh, down, you you monsters. You, you weird Dutch man. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, the other thing I was going to say is its sense of humor. It, it, yeah. it, 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 it's almost a comedy and how sort of strangely over the top it is
2: yeah uh, Phil Tippett was
0: the Phil lead tip, animator yeah, I man, okay. yeah. uh, the uh, the interstitial uh, TV commercials and news reports are also a big <sighs> part of this movie and that's where a lot of the humor comes from uh, like families are sitting around playing a board game called Nukem it's about exploding the yeah. the, the planet because like if you think about it, it Battleship has always been
1: kind of turning naval warfare people die Mm. into a little game for a whole family and it's like what if we take that to its logical conclusion and turn that into destroying the entire human race it's fun (laughs) aged really well that movie is great the visual effects still hold up the performances still hold up the final moment is as rousing as any final moment in any Mm. movie Period. Audiences to this day get up and fucking cheer (laughs) at the final line of
0: dialogue in this movie. It's just... It's exquisite. Mm. Uh, There's one bit of the movie that's not exquisite and it's Mm. when Ronnie Cox falls off the building and his arms are too long there's a really strange effect I'm not sure I think they were maybe trying to achieve like a A forced forced perspective perspective thing it's it's quick though it's really it's like a second of film but yeah they wanted to have a guy falling off a building and they
1: wanted to get a shot you could never actually get and they used uh, stop motion animation to have someone falling off a building going ah Mm. And his arms are way too long. It's a weird. It, it moment. looks really strange. It's yeah. a weird moment. It doesn't ruin it for you, but it it is weird. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, what's what's your number nine pick? Uh,
0: my number nine pick is. Uh, I I'm very fond of genre films and science fiction, so okay. my number nine is also a genre uh, science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about it kind of recently, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But it's. Um, re- uh, Renee Lelou's Fantastic Planet. Oh, good pick. Uh, it, it, good it's pick. an animated film. Yeah, I love... That's a great choice for animated uh, I think it's one of the best science fiction films ever because uh, science fiction uh, takes place in the realm of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I have an enormous issue with modern Hollywood fantasy films okay. because they're fantasy films. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And they seem so stringently ruled people want very specific types of characters and filmmakers only make very certain kinds of action scenarios and certain kinds of characters. You have the budget, you have the means you can make whatever you like. Please do that. Mm -hmm. I think fantastic planet creates an alien world that is alien Mm. It's populated by creatures and animals and aliens whose habits you really don't ever quite understand. Yeah. Being a little uh, off balance throughout all of Fantastic Planet is one of its uh, best best qualities, has this weird sort of hypnotic music. It may not be about humans, even though there are <laughs> human-shaped <laughs> characters in it. Um, mm-hmm. It takes place on uh, this distant planet, and there's gigantic uh, like 20, f- 20 to 50-foot-tall yeah. aliens uh, called Trogs.
1: As big compared yeah. to us as we are compared to, say, a hamster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's how big they are compared mm-hmm.
0: to us. And uh, and they they have no hair, they have blue skin, they have no eyelids, they're just have these big round red eyes, and they're mm-hmm. constantly staring, they have these kind of webbed ears, and they wear these really bizarre, kind of web-like clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, children do go to school, that's something like a recognizable thing, but they mm-hmm. do it by like wearing these learning devices. They latch onto their helmets. They,
1: they, they, they
0: Zoom call uh, uh, yeah basically Zoom call and uh, the adults spend a lot of time meditating and we see that their bodies sort of like mutate and fuse while they meditate and uh, the human element the thing that we might recognize is that they also keep these little hamster like pets and those hamster pets look like human beings they call them alms uh, there's no explanation as to why these human beings uh, have come to evolve on the planet is this earth at a super evolved time were humans taken from earth at some point and deposited on this planet. None of that is explained. And I, l- I think this is really stronger for it because we get to delve into the mechanics of this world. Um, the main um, character uh, ends up escaping, moving into a public park where a bunch of little humans have been living yeah, like and
1: the rats of Nim.
0: And we learn that there's like a little bit of a Lord of the flies thing going on. Like they've, turn to like strapping scorpions to their own bodies and doing battle with them. It's Mm. pretty wild stuff. Then uh, they go a little rogue. They start killing the trogs, and there's this extermination effort. While we're lost in the landscapes of this bizarre planet, we see animals that we can't possibly understand. Uh, They do these bizarre things that seem aggressive, but maybe they're just animal behavior. We see uh, moving trees, all of these things seem like something out of a dream and yet uh, are, are very believable because it's animation. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. And Rene Lelou did. Uh, science fiction, thats the and that's the function of science fiction, to, to expand your mind a little bit, to extend out into the cosmos, to accept new possibilities. Uh, and Fantastic Planet does that. By giving us ideas we don't quite get, mm. I understand my my two uh, picks so far have been like, these really kind of abstract movies. That's fine. I don't, but, I don't expect uh, anything else. But again, I, <laughs> I, I know that's, well. that's the kind of movie I like. So yeah, mm. that's that's what I picked.
1: Uh, well, uh, you know, again, I picked a very mainstream film mm. for my number ten, and I'm knocking from from my number nine, although it is a film that did rank highly on the list. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's one of my favorite movies. It is Agnès Varda's *Cleo* from five to seven. We already Best talked job, about it yeah. briefly. Uh, Cleo from 5 to 7 is a film from the French New Wave about a young woman. She's uh, an an actress, a performer. Uh, And at the beginning of the movie, she is uh, told that she will receive the results uh, from a test to determine if she's dying from cancer in an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the movie. 5 to (laughs) 7. And at the end of the movie, she gets those results. And that's the movie. And it's her filling that time. It's her filling that time with moments of. Uh, uh, a it's, like it's, she's it's, a model so She, yeah, she, she has, work some, she has a some work yeah. um, It's her trying to just go shopping It's her uh, uh, Just getting distracted in the park And like letting herself feel the moment And it's her worrying quite deeply And maybe forming meaningful connection with somebody It is a film about how Time is relative This feels like all the time She's got before her life may change forever She's got to fill it And yet it's full of little tiny moments And an entire life feels lived Mm. in almost real time in Cleo from five to seven. And it is lush. It is so ecstatically filmed. Agnes Varda loves this character in their world. Mm. And you you don't see city streets feel this vibrant. And a lot of it was Mm. done very guerrilla style in order to get that. But, um, it's a movie about fear of death and it's a movie about being completely alive and that speaks very much to me <laughs> I am deeply phobic of death mm-hmm. and I am trying to make the most of my life and those things don't go well together mm-hmm. it's actually a very anxious existence and it's a very anxious well, the, film but it's a very sweet
0: film as well It it's it's incredibly humane yes uh, it. Cleo from 5 to 7 looks into this woman's heart and uh, and finds every bit of it. Yeah. Uh it finds the joy she feels, it finds the the sort of uh strange tiny ecstasies of going to work. Uh those those connections you have with people which alternate between feeling profound and completely frivolous.
2: Mm. Uh
0: that that's something I really like about sort of her connections with other people is she is facing her mortality, Cleo. And that, of course, when you're faced with your mortality, you're kind of in this weird headspace where you are now under pressure to find something profound in your life. Mm. And... Stories of this type usually f- have the the conclusion be very something very simple. Yeah, I was with my family. Mm. It wasn't that sweet. I guess it was mm. all about family this whole time. Yeah, uh, there, there's episodes that of The is. Simpsons about this. For goodness' mm. sake, and uh, Agnes Varda knows how shitty and trite that is. Mm-hmm. How the the search for profundity can provide little flashes of it, and how that same moment can at the same time. Feel like a complete waste, yeah. and how that stumbling through is a big part of life. It's incredibly French, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice there are a lot of French films on the the, the uh, I, side. There's side a lot of great French movies out mm-hmm. there, and and not nearly enough representation throughout the entire world. We need no, to fix that. Th- I think there were like two Senegalese movies, and okay. I, we were asked recently like what countries we would want to know all about, and I, I said yeah. Nigeria for one of my. Uh, one of my choices. If, yeah. if I could add Senegal, sure, I would, because I, the Senegalese film scene is just amazing. All right, what's what's your next? Uh, what's your next pick? Well, my film, my next film, is also about death and uh, the contemplation thereof and the fear thereof and how <clears throat> death sort of waits ahead of you is this big, terrifying, abandoned carnival chasm.
2: Uh-huh.
0: It's Herc Harvey's Carnival of Souls. Oh, I love that you picked this. <laughs> This is one of the best horror movies ever made, just hands down. Yeah. I, I put it on the list of one of the best ever made. Yeah, uh, And I love the story of its making because Herc Harvey, the director, only made, this is the only narrative feature he ever made. Yeah, he made industrial movies. You've mm. seen a lot of his work on Mystery Science Theater Yeah, Herc Harvey made films like, why study industrial arts? And literally the
1: whole movie mm. is two guys in high school, and one guy's like, hey, why do you take wood shop? Well, let me explain why I take Woodshop when, for the next 15 wait, wait, Hang minutes. on, hang on, hang
0: on. Be A, a 20th is animated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Let, let's, let's, let's
1: reenact. Mm-hmm. Why I said Industrial Arts. Hey, Tom. Hey, how are you doing there? Um, why do you take Woodshop? Oh, that's a good question. I asked my Woodshop teacher how about that myself. And my, what he said was... Do, F- do, 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 do. You know, that's a good question, and I'm glad you asked me that question. <laughs> Here's why you should yeah. study industrial arts. <laughs> do, 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 do. You can yeah. make stuff. It's, Stretch that out for another yeah. 15 minutes, and everyone goes, Oh, I should take industrial arts. And then big fanfare. Thank you, Centron. Uh, yeah, it's- yeah, that's he made so many movies that were made to convince kids in school to take certain majors, or teach proper safety, Mm. or remind people why, like, various things that they take for granted are important to industry. Mm. And here's the thing about making a ton of movies. You get better at it. And by the time he made an actual narrative feature, Mm. Herc Harvey, one would almost wonder if by accident... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really knew what he was doing, and he well, made one of the best
0: horror movies ever made. Here, here's what he did. He, you watch those old shorts, yeah. and they're they're populated by non actors, yeah. uh, or or like local theater kids. Yeah, and their performances tend to be really stagey and really yeah. over the top. Really
1: stiff. Yeah.
0: Uh, he's clearly not an actor's director. No. <laughs> when we get to uh, the main character of Colonel of the Souls. Yeah. It was played by an actress named Candace Hillegoss. He's clearly asking her to be a little bit larger than life. Yeah. The music is... It, it sounds uh, it sounds very industrial. It's all organ music. She's a, a church organist. Yeah. She's a church organist and she's also an atheist. Yeah. Uh, and there's something very functional about everything in the movie.
2: Yeah.
0: And that functionality makes the supernatural elements that much like more terrifyingly striking Mm. in this very plainly shot uh, scenes. He's not dressing up a lot of this stuff. Ghosts appear. Yeah. And they feel real in that (laughs) moment. And uh, a lot of the, uh, he shot like just on regular city streets. He shot out in the world. And when the ghosts show up, Mm. it feels like ghosts exist next to you in the real world. Yeah. And uh, the, the plot of the movie is uh, the main character, uh, Drives off a bridge and survives. As a near-death experience. Yeah. yeah, And she starts having these very strange visions afterwards. And she's terrified yeah. of the world.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, it feels like she's living in a nightmare. And I, I'm not sure if you've ever had those nightmares where the world looks completely ordinary. Yeah. And there's nothing strange happening. And yet you're terrified you of everything. You know it's wrong. You know so, something there's is There's just off. something yeah. wrong. Carnival of Souls, the world is off. Yeah. Time is out of joint. And, and there's a really wonderful virtuosic sequence where Herc Harvey found a, an actual abandoned carnival oh, yeah. and takes his camera in there and has these people in ghost makeup running around chasing the main character. And for some reason, it's the scariest thing you've ever seen.
1: Yeah. I'm sure they found the carnival and wrote mm-hmm. a movie around it.
0: Yeah. It feels like it's, that kind of low
1: budget. It was a low this, budget. It, it, it's it's, it's like the public 30... domain. Mm-hmm. It's a low budget movie. It's, it's the same as Night of the Living Dead. They made it because horror movies make money. We can make it anywhere, middle of nowhere, no actors, and we'll be able to make money. Mm. And they emerged with one of the most atmospheric and in some cases very transformative horror movies ever made. I love that you picked this movie. (laughs) I love it. That's a great pick. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, My next pick is one that is probably the most controversial on my uh, uh, top ten. Did you pick Remnants too? No, I love it, though. Uh, it's, It's a film that I know is controversial because... Uh, when I told someone the uh, they had sound poll that I would have put this on my list, mm. they went, Oh, let's not open up that debate. And <laughs> is I, it something from this year? It is something from very recently. Okay. It is something from 2020. Okay. It is a whole cycle of films.
0: Oh, <laughs> I picked Steve McQueen's small axe. Yeah, yeah. And I was a little I'm concerned. Pr- proud like, of you. I'm proud of you. This, a, I, I also was considering yeah. small axe. I, I was
1: a little con. I wasn't concerned about it being too soon. I'm super confident. This mm. is one of the most incredible cinematic achievements, mm. at least of the last ten years, and I think arguably of all time. Because I'm putting it here. Um, but I was a little concerned. Like, is this allowed? And then I looked at some previous uh Titan sound polls. And I saw that other, in previous sound polls, people had nominated, in its entirety, mm. the Decalogue. Which is ten films. That is ten films yeah. made for television. Mm. Uh, then the Decalogue were ten films, and each film was inspired by a different one of the Ten Commandments.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Great cycle of films, by the way. I, I highly recommend the sure. Decalogue. So my point is, this is fair game. Uh-huh. It's pushing it a little bit, I'll grant you that, but it is, there, there is precedent And it's allowed. And Mm. these are all films that are made around a singular theme by a single filmmaker, and they were all released in the same year. They are of a piece. Uh, I'm not going to debate this. No, I know you're not. I just want to make sure if anyone is going, huh? Because Small Axe was not pushed as a feature film. They actually pushed it for awards for television, Mm. uh, which it was almost summarily snubbed. (laughs) I I think there was a huge mistake. Mm. I think these films individually or separately absolutely warranted uh, uh, greater consideration amongst uh, the critical community but um every single one of the five films in the small act series each one is feature length the shortest one is about 66 no sorry 63 minutes no, no. the longest one's two hours oh, okay yeah yeah. yeah yeah um and they all involve the West Indian immigrant experience in London. Over the course of about three decades, the 1960s through the 1980s, mm. and each film covers that experience from very different angles. Uh, the first film, uh, *Mangrove*, is a big, awesomely absorbing and super satisfying uh, legal drama mm. about it's like a, a
0: courtroom thriller. Yeah, it's
1: it's about a a, a restaurant that was a hangout uh, for for uh, West Indian. Immigrants And the police Kept breaking down the door There was police harassment until finally It ended up in a big giant court case And it's a fantastically Riveting tale As much so as any legal drama we've had in a long time um, The second one And this is the masterpiece Is Lover's Rock mm. If it was just Lover's Rock I would put it on the list <laughs> Lover's Rock is the story of a party mm. That's it It starts off with people getting ready for And going to the party they go to the party. So there's some small amounts of drama, but it is about an entire community just sort of swarming and feeling something together. Mm. And in a way that feels absolutely sublime. And and, and not in a oh, it's a, what a sublime feeling. Like, no, 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 no. Like the actual like dictionary definition of sublime yeah you feel elevated by the experience of watching lovers rock it is an absolutely immersive experience
0: all of the uh all the pain of the arguments Mm -hmm. all the fear of going outside uh all of the warmth of dancing together the wonderful moments where the music goes out and everyone sings along oh it's so good yeah it's great
1: uh the next one's called red white and blue this one stars john boyega and uh this is basically serpico in some regards it's about a guy who tries to be a good cop he wants to be a cop in a racist system yeah and a a system he knew was racist going in but he realizes that if unless someone steps up and tries to change it from within it never will so he volunteers to be part of that process and it like
0: hurts his dad because like oh my god my son is a cop that's horrible Mm. like it's it's he's constantly talking with uh mm. with his friends and his family yeah about how horrible it is to be a cop and what cops yeah. mean to his community yeah and how he's determined to turn that around and how the system kind of doesn't let him
1: no it's really fantastic motion picture uh the next film is the one that it's it's the that's the, the it's the kind of more abstract in some ways uh but it's, it's a Alex, biographical piece. it's, it's yeah. Alex Weedle. Uh, and it's a story of a real-life uh novelist um who was uh imprisoned after a big um uh sort of protest. Yeah. Um but it's also very much about the music scene. And what music <laughs> meant a lot of, a lot to of, like, people in the night in the, in the era. Shopping and Yeah, Alex Weedle And there's a lot of sequences where the the main plot just stops so we can hear recordings of people and sort of get involved in what it was like to be part of uh, sort of the protest movement at the time, and that's what I want to revisit because I don't think I really knew what to do with that one the first time I saw it. Okay. But I admire it. Uh, and then the last one is super duper great. It's called Education, and it is about uh, a young uh, a young boy who is sent to school by his parents. His parents trust the system, and what they don't realize is that the system is incredibly institutionally racist. Mm. And he is basically because he is black and an immigrant. Um, He is basically sent to The absolute most remedial class ever Where they treat him Mm. like he's an afterthought And he is not permitted Essentially to learn Mm. And because he is not permitted to learn He will only ever be allowed To be a part of society In the most menial types of jobs This is how the system Mm. reinforces racism (coughs) On an institutional level And it's a very real thing And it's about trying to break out of that And form a new educational system If we have to do it ourselves My uh
0: Small acts came out uh, Mm. at the height of lockdowns. Yeah. Towards the end uh, of the first year of the pandemic, yeah. uh, And I had a a child who was going through first grade, or through kindergarten. Yeah. uh, Remotely. Yeah. Getting a good education was very much on my mind. Yeah. And watching, oh, sort of like almost a worst case scenario uh, Mm. enact itself. Yeah. Made me cry. (laughs) It hurt to watch education just because of the circumstances I was in. But I also value education, and seeing it fail also mm-hmm. just stings on a very profound personal level. The scene where the teacher sings The House of the Rising Sun uh-huh. on its acoustic guitar. Just to fill the day. Yeah.
1: He's not teaching the, anything about well, it. He's not telling anything about music or what the song means. He just wants... It's he like, just, I've oh, got to do something. Wanna, it's like I play like like guitar.
0: You hit like songs. Like Ricky's your vase in the office. Yeah. He's just showing off a little bit to these kids. The kids are falling asleep. Yeah. Every moment that passes is a the moment they're not learning something. Yeah. It's It is a waste of their life.
1: It is, it is a waste of the most important parts of their life. deliberately wasting their lives. And his parents are so busy mm. because they have to be in order to make a living. Mm. That they just trust the system and they're they not can't questioning get involved. this. Yeah, and it takes a like. Yeah, it takes. Luckily, there's activists. There's like a savior
0: yeah. character in right. this, which you know, yeah. finally, there's a little bit of a relief. going to end very tragically. I think it's
1: very pointed that this is the last one in the cycle and ends on a hopeful note. Hmm. That change is possible. We just have to do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um. Or you know, they do. I'm not part of that community, but you know what I mean. And. I love it. It's masterfully crafted. Every single piece, each film feels like it it complements the others while also feeling stylistically very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a masterwork. I really do. I think it is one of the best film cycles anyone has ever produced. I would put it right up there with the Apu trilogy. I would put it right up there with the Before trilogy. Mm -hmm. I think it is... Unbelievably beautifully crafted, and I think time will be very kind to it. All right. So I'm I'm happy to call it one of the best ever made. What is your next pick?
0: Well, I feel like such an asshole because my next (laughs) pick is Female Trouble. Oh,
1: Uh, that's (laughs) an awesome pick.
0: I love that. Uh, John Waters' Female Trouble uh, is his best movie. I feel like John Waters is an important voice in cinema. Absolutely. Uh, He uh, took the. the queer symbolism of someone like Kenneth Anger mm-hmm. and the queer coded melodrama of someone like Douglas Sirk mm-hmm. and made it an aesthetic yeah. that I think has uh, not just permeated through cinema, but permeated through culture. Uh, he, he's, he's a, a lot of a, a turning point and in, in a lot of just his aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also points to something that we go to movies for and that's trash. Yeah. Weird. Trash. We're a trashy species. Yeah, we
1: we love we love the, we love highfalutin, mm. you know, artsy stuff. We love really classy, well-made stuff. We also like junk. Yeah, just uh, absolute junk. We gravitate, and don't tell me you don't. No, even no. if it's not in movies, there's something out there. Whether it's junk food, whether it's junk music, mm. whether it's just it's just. Catering it's, to your lesser impulses, to your, your lizard brain. Yeah, your lizard brain. That's yeah. not lesser. That's rude. I, I, <laughs> I think it's important. Yeah. But you, and 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 trash mm. can absolutely be genius. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're doing it wrong. Yeah, because yeah. then we're just we're just mm. sticking up our nose for no reason.
0: And uh, female trouble in particular is about how because the characters in female trouble. Uh, belong to a cult that is trying to completely invert standards of artistic beauty. Right. Uh, they, they think uh, theft, crime, mutilation, and violence are where true beauty lies. Mm-hmm. And safety, softness, things that are actually pleasing to look at, are the opposite of what that should mean. They're, right. they're trying to completely invert that. And I feel like that's what John Waters was trying to do as well. Mm. Trying to find beauty in, for lack of a better term, the ugly. Yeah. Uh, and he tells it through the eyes of one of the Godzillas of cinema, <laughs> Don Davenport, played by Divine, uh, who goes on a, a, essentially a killing spree and rejects the world because they get the wrong Christmas present. Uh,
1: I can't think of a better reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Waters has gone on record saying, you have to look up what cha-cha heels are. Like, because he, you know, he's, he's very gregarious. He's talked to his fans. He, you know, he's autographed yeah. a lot of unusual objects. And people say, hey, what do you think of my cha-cha heels? He's like, no, that's not cha-cha heels. <laughs> cha-cha heels, are, they're not the platform shoes. They're actually like yeah, kind of Pist- yeah. low-heeled shoes, comparatively. Yeah, uh, so, It's
1: not just the term for shoes you like. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a, there's an actual definition mm. to the cha-cha heel.
0: And... Uh, we, we, which is how before. the present
1: goes wrong. Pardon? Well, the present goes wrong, doesn't
0: it? No, well, it, Don we, Devonport just doesn't doesn't get the cha-cha heels. That exactly exactly, sets her day. on a dark People path. People don't
1: understand the significance yeah, of she, the cha-cha uh, heel, and that's what sets it down in all. Yeah, emotion. she
0: ends up having an affair with this drifter who is also played by Divine, which is really strange. <laughs> there, there is a sex scene between Divine and Divine, and just using some clever editing. Go <laughs> mink stole is in the movie mink stole is brilliant in everything Mul well, mink stole is in all of john waters movies uh but yeah just sort of going down every single character's strange path and going into this weird kind of cult mentality uh john waters is of course drawing from a lot of uh, current events and a lot of like kidnappings in the news uh i'm not sure when um uh, the Patty Hearst incident took place in, 70s? in the 70s, right? Yeah, well, and this was also 70s, so I'm not sure I'm if not this sure. was made before or after. But oh. clearly there's a lot of that, that uh, glorification of crime. Mm. And John Waters takes that media glorification of crime and kind of fetishizes it right. uh, to a point where he makes it feel uh, like he's kind of like shaming you for finding a lot of thrill in the real life crime. But he's taking that self seriousness of news media out of it and turning it into what it actually is, which is entertainment. Uh, so he's also making this weird kind of media commentary as well. There is a, a strange brilliance to the junk of female trouble. Mm. Uh, it's rough to watch. It's rated NC 17. There's a lot of, uh, Cussing and screaming. If mm. you don't like movies about shrill, shrill characters, maybe don't see it. <laughs> but golly, it's beautiful and golly, it's so enjoyable. I
1: have a question, Mike. I've
0: never seen this one. Just junky and filthy and the best possible. I've way. never seen this
1: one. I know I need to see it. You're, you've, you you've and seen, many of you.
0: You've seen Pink Flamingos, right? No. Oh, well, I know It, I, it, I, I, it, it there's, sits ahead of you <laughs> I know I know
1: There's. That, I've, I've mentioned it, I think already There's a few Classic films out there That I never got around to uh-huh. Some of the early work Of John Waters Is part of that right. So there you go I have nothing to contribute Other than Awesome pick um, My next pick Speaking
0: of trash Okay Is it the movie Trash?
1: No That would be an interesting pick Is it street trash? No <laughs> I'm not literally doing trash right. uh, Speaking of, of sleaze Speaking of flock hmm. uh, I put I put it to you that uh we, we talk a lot in the critical community, because it is sadly often relevant, uh the male gaze. Okay. Which is to say uh stories that are filtered through the male perception of especially sexuality. Mm-hmm. That uh uh ah, look at women. Mm-hmm. Neat. You know, that's the kind of vibe, like, ooh, we we think they're neat. They have bits that we like. That kind of vibe. Yeah.
0: I would but argue it's, that it's... Aestheticizing the body. I yeah.
1: would argue that that level of prurance mm-hmm. uh, reached its zenith both in amount and quality Okay. in Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Good pick, yeah. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is a film by the great Russ Meyer. He made a lot of films about big breasts. Sometimes that's literally all they were about. There was no plot. It was just breasts. And then you go... Yes, Russ, they are. You go over an hour? Okay, let's look at some breasts. Like now that's much not unlike Herc Harvey, who got to start making, you know, industrial movies. Russ Meyer made nudie pictures, just stag films, basically. And then he started making theatrical features. And his theatrical features were mostly incredibly sleazy. But he got good at it. And a lot of his movies are really well made. And I would argue that there is no better sleaze picture ever produced, speaking of the kind of prurience and trash that people like to mm-hmm. watch, than Faster, Pussycat, Kill, Kill. Also speaking of John Waters... Muscle John Waters to muscle, famously, bone to bone. Yes. <laughs> John Waters famously said this is not only the best movie ever made, but it's probably the best movie that
0: will be made. That can, can ever be made. Yeah.
1: Uh, Faster, Pussycat, Kill, Kill is about a bunch of go-go dancers who, after their shift, decide to take their hot rods to the desert and go racing. And then they run into a guy. He says, I'll race you, ladies. And then they... Beat him to death in front of his girlfriend Break his
0: spine
1: Kill him And, and there's this woman in like the glorious leather pants mm. And just Turisatana Yeah, yeah. Turisatana Just this larger than life comical character of a movie And she like breaks his spine like Bane and Batman And then she kidnaps his girlfriend and drags her with him And then they find out there's buried treasure at this weird fucking farm And the farm is run by an <laughs> evil misogynist man family <laughs> And then they go, and it's fucking weird, and then everyone wants to fuck everyone, and then everyone fucking kills everyone. And it's amazing. And it reaches a level of profundity in that. And I'm not exaggerating.
0: Well, uh, Russ Meyer's making these movies clearly with his own fetishes in mind. Absolutely he is, which is honestly, let's be fair here... Mm -hmm what a lot of filmmakers do yeah, a yeah, lot of filmmakers uh,
1: fetishize one thing or another whether it's a style or, an ast- uh, or, or a theme they I'm, have the thing I'm, they keep going back to over and over again. I'm talking specifically is, about
0: a sexual fetish I understand that but
1: my point is that with Russ you don't miss it and you can't yeah. pretend yeah. whereas you can like look uh, like Spielberg has a weird thing about family melodrama mm. but we can sort of look at oh but it's so thoughtful and insightful but family melodrama if you think about it like no, no let's just call it what it is He's got a thing. Mm. Russ's thing was sexual, Mm. and he was unafraid to talk about it and make movies about it. And he made movies that were basically just like, "What would I, a sexual being, like to see?" Yeah, and he made them exquisitely sometimes. And here's one. Mm. And and what I what I think is interesting about Russ's particular, uh, my good friend Russ, but Russ Meyer's my good friend Russ Meyer. you feel like you know him when you watch his movies because it's just so just so bare Uh. with his with his uh, uh interests and desires um he's not interested in women as uh 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 th- things
0: well as, as he's passive a, people he's not interested in them as
1: passive people mm. he's not interested in them as objects although he does enjoy their frame his the women in his movies are powerful yeah he makes movies about powerful women and how their power is sometimes revolutionary uh oftentimes it is uh uh genuinely changing the world around them uh it it, it intimidates men but in the best possible way mm-hmm. uh he makes movies that about the greatness of women and he appreciates their body and he appreciates uh their 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 power i, I don't know how was to phrase it really I'm, it's getting late and i'm starting to lose my perspicacity <laughs> and it's always the last place you look um I don't have, like, a comic book movie on my list. And I know Rubber Cops seems like it kind of feels like it. Mm. This is the one that does, though. This is larger-than-life power fantasy filmmaking. And it is strange, unusual, uh, sexual, genuinely critical of a, a lot of uh, gender dynamics. Mm. Um, impeccably filmed. It's a bunch of people shooting a fucking movie in a desert. There isn't a background half the fucking time. And yet the camera angle is always perfect. hmm this is the the zenith of sleaze. It never got better than this. I, the only reason it's not on this list is because I put it on a, a previous list. I so. realized that, and when you made that argument, I was like, "Shit, he's right." So, hmm. your th- that's one of the reasons why this is this. I knew this was going to make my top ten okay. because, and also because it's just that fucking good. But it you, you putting it on your top ten actually, and John Waters putting a top ten is another great example of why these kinds of lists help. Mm -hmm. Because if someone who you respect Is willing to come out and say Hey you know this thing most people don't respect It's actually brilliant It opens the door Yeah, And it allows you to Even if you weren't comfortable admitting it before Say it is (laughs) It actually is So kudos to you Kudos to John Waters Kudos to everyone who made Faster Pussycat Kill Kill And this is a big part of my overall critical ethos If you like something that goes against the norm, and if you don't like something that goes against the norm, Mm. you should say so. Yeah. And you should have something to back it up. Don't just throw out an opinion willy-nilly and be a jerk about it. Like, back it up. But we we need to be able to allow these types of films to be canonized. Anyway, moving
0: on. What's your number six? Uh, My number six is uh, very difficult to define. Okay. It's kind of hard to say. It's sort of like... Uh, a communist post utopia lesbian thriller I'm talking about Lizzie Borden's 1983 film Born in Flames oh that's a great fucking
1: pick <laughs> oh I love that
0: that's a ooh
1: yes yes great fuck oh, I wish I would thought so, of that if I uh, thought of that it might have made my list
0: <laughs> Born in Flames I, is
1: amazing I, just, I don't know why uh, it didn't occur to me
0: that's a yeah. fucking great pick oh yeah. my god <laughs> Uh, yeah, Born in Flames takes place. Uh, it was made in nineteen eighty three. It takes place in New York City. Uh, it was very, you know, very low fi film, like very documentary style. It feels very real.
2: Yeah,
0: um, but it takes place in sort of this alternate future where essentially the ultra left wing has won. They're mm-hmm. in charge of the government. Yeah, but. Even in so doing, there are now schisms and revolutionaries among them who are trying to push their own agendas in different directions.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, That's commentary on the modern left. Uh, There's going to be a lot of infighting. It's also a commentary on how the government is, no matter how it's shaped, isn't going to be looking out for your best interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's this weird sort of science fiction element because... It almost feels like Cronenberg's Videodrome, mm-hmm. where the power of media is like kind of manipulating the minds, and the uh, the ultimate battle is going to be won over who can reach the most people through their radio stations. Right. So there's a lot of this uh, lo-fi tinkering with a lot of the, these uh, instruments and trying to get into that, and that's mm. very aesthetically pleasing. It's very tactile. Uh And a lot of it is uh, just people uh, talking, sort of giving their ideas as to what, uh, just how how pervasive sexism is in this world. And there's a lot of people who give these uh, just interviews talking about uh, sexism and the function of revolutionary action. What, you know, is revolutionary action going to be even all that effective? How much of it is actual political theater? How much of it is actually meant to instill any kind of actual change? If it's useless, do we keep on doing it? Or is its uselessness part of its function? Uh, a lot of these heady political ideas are constantly being uh, talked about in Born in Flames. And what I admire about Born in Flames is that it doesn't really come to any kind of singular conclusion about those things. It's kind of a meditation on <clears throat> revolutionary, mm-hmm. uh, like revolutionary uh, thought. It it feels like something really important is happening when you're watching Born in Flames. Yeah. It feels like the revolution is nigh yeah. when you're watching Born in Flames. No. Lizzie Borden is not, excited is the wrong word, but uh, exhilarated to be on some sort of big change, whether it's positive or negative, because it feels yeah. like
1: the system needs to be shook up regardless.
0: It needs to be yeah. shook up. And it also feels like what you're doing does have an impact. Yeah. Like what you're doing is the right thing. And you can actually push things forward yeah. in this completely bizarre, quasi-sci-fi, quasi-documentary yeah. film. Uh, this is one that I only recently discovered. Yeah, we watched this for a <clears> podcast <throat> not the long ago. We yeah. both saw it
1: for the first time.
0: Like, I, I had projected it at uh, at the movie theater where I work, the New Beverly Cinema, mm-hmm. and it's like, what is this thing? I'd never heard of this thing. And it mm-hmm. it's, it sort of blasts into your consciousness. Yeah. Every bit of rebellious youth you ever had in you, it, it snags onto that piece and just mm-hmm. yanks it right out. Um, I, I've heard my mom talk a lot about what it was like to grow up in the 1960s. Yeah. My mom was born in 1950. And... Uh, and she she said that everything felt very hopeful very optimistic at the time that the the way, the, the military evils of the world were going to be overcome by love and marijuana <laughs> like that was yeah. kind of the idea uh as as hunter thompson once put it there was this uh, all encompassing sense that what you were doing was right
1: yeah the, the whatever happened your energy yeah. would
0: prevail yeah that yeah. That, that that's the, the hunter thompson line yeah uh and I get that from Born in Flames. Yeah. But it also feels very uh, technologically forward. It feels very up to date. Mm -hmm. It feels... uh, It's a lot more caustic uh, and angry. It's very cynical,
1: Mm -hmm. but it it understands that as time and technology progressed, the Mm -hmm. medium would, quote, well, paraphrase Marshall McLuhan, Mm -hmm. become the message. Yeah. Uh, And to control the medium would be to control
0: minds. Mm -hmm. And and that it's this is being told to you in a cinematic medium, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, it's, it's definitely part of the message. I fucking love it. I love the scenes in
1: this movie, and they manages to feel like like yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, a whole bunch of uh, the women in Born in Flames. One of them was played by uh, Catherine Bigelow before. She That's be- right. Yeah, yeah. before she, she became so well known. I think she she did some sort of technical work on this. She as might well, have done some work as yeah. well. Um, but um, everyone rides bikes. <laughs> and it's like this just incredibly like heroic like oh they're coming on their bikes shit shit's about to hit the fucking fan here comes the bike brigade i love this movie this movie captures a rebellious spirit that so few films ever come close to like mm-hmm. it's like this in battle of algiers like it's that yeah, level yeah. and that's fucking great if i had thought of that i wouldn't a <laughs> i'm dead serious yeah, I'm, I, I I'm, see, I'm adding it to my runners up. Okay. Officially. I, I technically shouldn't be allowed uh, to I didn't think of it ahead of time, but yeah. That's, no, that's fucking
0: the, good. Re- really it. really I implore that you see yeah, God born in so Flames big.
1: The ending, bit of a shocker.
0: Yeah. Might yeah. Might, might make you go, oh
1: shit, but think about when it was made. Mm. Hell of a thing. Um all right, my next pick uh and here, and this is one where I had I I swear this has been on my list for months. Mm. This has been on my list for months never moving. And I feel like now everyone's going to be like, oh, you're just like, no, I'm not on a bandwagon. I wanted to get the bandwagon started uh-huh. because my number six is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, good for you. <laughs> fucking uh-huh. masterpiece, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, it is uh, a, a, a beautiful romance. I think it is one of the great cinema romances. I would put it above In the Mood for Love. I just did. Um, it is about uh, a woman who is hired uh, to paint... Uh, uh, a a, a noble woman's daughter Uh, and the painting is ostensibly in order to entice wealthy suitors Mm. because they can't go see her they'll see the painting and they'll go oh very attractive I'll marry them forever that's what's on the table The, the young woman in question has no interest in this for perhaps obvious reasons Uh, And over the course of the film, as they are left to their own devices, they're eventually left all alone on an island with uh, some of the the female servants. Um, It becomes a story about women's spaces and also becomes a story about how women look at each other. yeah. Yeah. We're so obsessed with, I just mentioned, the male gaze, that to see a film... Like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is entirely told from a woman's case, Mm. there's, like, one line of dialogue spoken by a man in this movie, and it's towards the end, it's an incidental guy. Mm. He's like, oh, is this it? Like, that's it. Like, that's all he says. It's like a delivery guy.
0: It's a world devoid of men. It's a world devoid of men, uh, that when a
1: man talks, it feels shocking. Um, To be immersed in that world, and to view the world entirely through that lens, and through people talking about it, actually talking about what it means to look at someone and see them truly, Uh, to be immersed entirely in women's spaces and see how liberating that is, even though it's going to be incredibly fleeting because of the nature of the world in which they live. Uh, Beautifully acted, gorgeously photographed, incredibly romantic, very sexy. It's got, like, two of the best tearjerker endings ever. (laughs) It's not, like, two of them. Like, I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Um, I consider it an all-timer. It is... I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, I am witnessing Mm. one of the best films.
0: And it's one of those films where like you love it, you love it, you love it, and you're just like... And then the acapella scene comes up and your your heart falls out of your body. There's that
1: moment where you're just afraid this is going to get fucked up somehow. Mm. Somehow this is going to not stick the landing. And then it does, and it's even better. Mm. And it's just an incredible... An incredible achievement and i think it's just really it's arguably the best cinematic love story mm. i love the pieces I'm, I'm glad it ended up at like what 30 31 uh, 30 yeah. yeah that's a good place for it and i would have put it higher <laughs> it's really great so there you go i think it's great
0: yeah. uh, i agree yeah i agree i uh, i like to do um two movies came out in 2019 mm-hmm. That I find to be like sort of mirrors of each other. Yeah. Uh, Portrait of the Lady on Fire would make a great double feature with The Lighthouse. Sure. uh, Which is about two men on an island made by a man.
1: And that movie uh, goes in very different directions, doesn't
0: it? When two women are put on an island and they're filmed by a woman, they look at each other. Yeah. They consider each other. They think about art. They fall in love. (laughs) They help other women. A servant has a crisis in that movie and they think nothing but to help her. Yeah. Then you go to the lighthouse. There's no color in that world. It's black and white. Nature hates you. Yeah. The world is wet and damp. You fart on each other. Yeah. These two men hate each other. They think of nothing but getting drunk, and then they fill each other's mouths with dirt.
1: I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. It's pretty much... And, And I
0: love both of those movies. Sure, they're both great films. Uh, they're both wonderful there were three great movies uh, that came out in 2019 and I nearly put one of them on my list and the other one was A Hidden Life uh, oh yeah which, love that which movie are online, like yeah. all those three are like all timers I need to watch that movie yeah. again because I, I yeah. liked it you loved it I think you yeah. need to see it through your eyes because uh, it's really great uh, uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with I mean just, just on a, on a fil- philosophical level uh, deep within my personality I'm a pacifist sure uh, I, I object to war as a concept yeah. And uh, A Hidden Life is about that. It's about somebody who is equally religiously, like Christianly devoted yeah. to pacifism. Yeah. And how uh, the government and the dark hearts of man and even religious organizations encourage him to go to war as if it's some something kind of noble. And he says, no. Yeah. Um, that that was nearly on my top 10 list just because I wanted to get... Some, I get it. All three of those movies, I feel like... I would have bought it. ...should be talked about in equal esteem because I love them all. Mm-hmm. All right, what's your next pick? But uh, my next pick, we're up to number five. Yeah. Uh, I did want to choose something that was uh, grand and theatrical in an old Hollywood kind of a way. Okay. Uh, something that is very, very long and very, very epic and is populated by recognizable actors that you love who all have something important to say. Uh, this is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Ah, oh, I almost picked this. Time. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hamlet is... Uh, Often called, like, the best play ever written in the English language. Mm. Uh, It's certainly in the running. Yeah. And... It's very all-encompassing. Pretty much everything is in that play. Yeah. uh, A a literary critic named Harold Bloom, uh, you might have iffy opinions about the man, uh, but he once called it an an eternal poem. Like, everything, all of humanity is located somewhere in Hamlet. Right. And uh, if you want the best film version of Hamlet, you go to Kenneth Branagh's version, because he included the entire text... Uh, And all of a sudden you have not just... uh, I'm I'm uncomfortable with productions of Hamlet that stage the play as just sort of like a miniature Freudian melodrama. Mm It's a big part of it. That's a big part of the plot. But there's so much more going on than just the plot. It's a big sociopolitical thriller. Yeah. It's, a, a, a mm-hmm. it's a meditation on mortality. It's a meditation on the place of war in a greater political context. Mm-hmm. It's about the personality of a ruler. Mm-hmm. It's uh, about how the, the dynamics
1: of mm-hmm. that ruler and their system trickle down yeah, to everyone and, within a country. Yeah,
0: And at the same time... It's postmodern, yeah. where Hamlet is talking about to be or not to be, how he's fulfilling his role as a son, as uh, as a royal person who has to take care of a usurper, mm-hmm. as a character in a play. Uh, he is commenting on his own construct as a fiction. The, 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 uh, middle,
1: the middle act is basically like, hey, we're going to stop this play. To watch a play. Yeah. And because t- plays are so powerful, sometimes they make people like mm. they change lives, and we're gonna watch mm. it happen. And, and that's so, yeah, gonna be the biggest e- plot away in the whole fucking Extra movie. postmodern yeah.
0: layer where they put a play yeah. in the play. Yeah. Uh, you've read it in school. Your teachers talked talked your ear off about, yeah. you know, the profundity of everything that's going on in this play. It's still all in there and it's still exhilarating. And I feel like Kenneth Branagh read that text and said, This is not something to be staged. Mm. This is cinema. Yeah. This can be uh, really grand and he actually went to like this uh, I think it was The Duke of Marlborough's castle like a giant and like palace. filmed this gigantic yeah. like in the and in the snow so it's actually you know, it going out. It feels enormous this movie. And, and there's scenes of him running through that palace and slamming doors and there's hidden passageways. Uh, the to be or yeah. not to be speech is in a hall of mirrors so he's like yeah. looking in a mirror and it's all and an additional layer of self reflexiveness yeah. i like that he uh gave a, a bit of a richer relationship between hamlet and ophelia yeah. which is only given lip service on the, the actual text of the play now he
1: adds some uh, non-dialogue bits that establishes mm-hmm. the depth of their relationship yeah. better than most other uh, uh versions of the text um, we, we were talked about before about how um, frustrating it is that um, Citizen Kane is so revered that it's now considered boring, even though uh-huh. it's really alive. Shakespeare's the same way, especially Hamlet. Because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, a lot of Shakespeare's other more popular plays, uh-huh. something like Romeo and Juliet, which is about passionate love, something like Othello, which is about vengeance and very, very uh, uh, methodical vengeance, It's not mm-hmm. it's not overcomplicated well, it's, it's, by other incident subplot not, it's not, very not, focused not
0: vengeance more jealousy oh you're right yeah. I mean, uh, hey, uh, uh, vileness Vi- yeah there you go richard Phil- the third Phil- yeah. richard
1: the third as well just here i am richard the and othello i am a villain watch me go yeah that's kind of the whole thing and they're both fucking brilliant hamlet is more sprawling it's a little less focused than all that uh but every single aspect of it is exciting and different and I've seen a lot of different versions of Hamlet. You know, Olivier decided to focus it hmm. as much as possible.
0: And yeah, Brana. Cut, cut out a lot of the dialogue as well. Cut out a lot of it. it.
1: Did, did some of it in voiceover. Like, bold choices. Good movie. They're very different film. Brana was like, we're going to do every single fucking bit of it. <laughs> we're going to. This doesn't need to be cut in order to be great. Hmm. We're going to show you every single thing about Hamlet. And you're right. He makes one of the biggest motion pictures ever made. Hmm. It is. St- Stunning cinema. (laughs) Absolutely Hmm. breathtaking cinema. It made my runners-up. I came very close to putting it on my top ten. It's fucking great. And I don't care. Oh, Hamlet. No. It's alive in a way that very few films are. Hamlet
0: is, the play is a living animal. The cinema is the the finest modern version of it I've seen. And and I've I've seen Zeffirelli's. Yeah. uh, Which, you know, is, is perfectly decent.
1: Okay.
0: Um... I've seen uh, Michael Almereta's, which is fun.
1: It's okay.
0: I appreciate some of the restagings, but I'm not a fan. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that when we see the... It takes place in the modern day. A lot of the scenes take place in these really boring, like, sort of corporate hallways. Yeah, I'm not interested in any of that. Well, i i I like I the idea. I, think it's I like the idea that Hamlet sees the ghost of his father, and his father drifts down a hallway and drifts into a Coke machine. Like <laughs> that, that's that's kind of a cute idea.
1: I guess I don't. I guess I don't know. It feels feel very like college very, student. To it, me, that's yeah. what it feels like. It feels like the, if it was a college student, I'd be impressed. It's not. So I'm a little less impressed.
0: <laughs> yeah, Michael Almereyda like had made several. Like, features it's
1: briefly whimsical that uh, he does the "play is the thing" speech in a blockbuster video. Or, no, it's the "to be or not to be" speech. Is it to be or not to be? I don't because it's when he's talking about putting on the play, isn't
0: it? No, the to be or not to be speech is in Well, whatever. In it's it's briefly okay.
1: amusing that he's doing a blockbuster video. Yeah. He's
0: wandering because, through the action sequence. Yeah, and he's, sequence he's, to lose he's, he's literally action. watching the movie <laughs> The
1: Crow City of Angels.
0: <laughs> terrible
1: movie. Um, I, I'm not a big fan. Of it. Regardless, Kenneth Branagh's version is brilliant. I love that you picked it. I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, my next five, a lot of these might be considered, you know, sort of obvious picks, but I think they're generally that great. Mm. Uh and all but one of my top five did make the list. Alright. Like this one. Mm. My favorite animated movie ever, My Neighbor Totoro.
0: Oh, it's that big, big raccoon monster.
1: It's the big raccoon monster. My right, neighbor Totoro. On their tummies and... My neighbor Totoro is a big warm hug of a movie. Mm-hmm. But it is not uh, uh an empty uh 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 expression. It is not a it is not a film that's just there to to comfort kids, there's plenty of those. Uh, it is not there is a broad entertainment. it is actually trying to talk about how uh, that kind of kindness and nourishment is inherent mm. and is just waiting to be explored. and it's there when you need it. It's about two uh, two little girls and their dad. they move into a little house in the country. so they can be closer to their mother who is ill and they never express exactly what. But the implication is she could get better, she could die, mm. and the girls are just waiting to hear if their mom is going to die. And they, it, this isn't you know terribly modern. There's cars, but they don't have TV. Mm-hmm. They're experiencing the world around them. And one of the first things they do, they walk into this house and they go, "Oh wow, look at this house! Oh, I'm going to get this bedroom. This door is nice. Hey, look!" Soot sprites, yeah. dust ghosts, <laughs> <laughs> and they see these little these little clumps of dust. These little with, dust bunnies with, with eyes. eyes on them, yeah. yeah. And they're just going around doing their dust thing, and they're absolutely enchanted. And they tell their dad that they've seen these soot sprites, and their dad, like dads in all uh, American movies, go, "Oh, that's not real."
0: No, you didn't say that.
1: I know that's my point. All right, any including... other movie would be like, "Oh, you girls in your mm-hmm. imagination." Dad goes, "Oh, that's great. We have soot sprites." Mm-hmm.
0: He plays with it because the world is a magical
1: place, and I believe that with the bottom of yeah, my heart. The,
0: the girls are young. The older yeah. girl is like maybe eight or nine. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the eggs. But the younger yeah. girl's like four. She's Very pretty young. pretty little. Yeah. And uh, what I love about My Neighbor Totoro is it uh, doesn't give you the the climaxes yeah. that an American animated film might. No, um, not, it
1: doesn't want to. It, it has mm-hmm. a bit of an adventure at the end. There's a little bit of peril. Yeah, but there's like a race
0: against time at the end But, yeah, it's, but it's it's a it's, moment of panic It's no, actually not a moment of thrill
1: No, it's not It's not uh, fun It's basically the, the youngest daughter towards the end of the movie Runs out and they can't find her mm. And in any parental or babysitting situation That's a terrifying moment mm. That is a moment of suspense But it's not about fun It is about the safety of a child mm. That needs to be uh, 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 addressed and secured So... The majority of the film, though, is about these little girls just discovering that the natural world around them is a magical place. And it is, and they just flat out meet the, the, the local spirit world as typified by the, the beloved Totoro characters. Uh, everyone knows the big gray one mm. who's like super large. And there's a scene where the, the youngest girl like falls down a little rabbit hole like Alice in Wonderland. But she like lands on his tummy. And he's just big and warm and she just goes to sleep. And the Totoro sees her on his belly and he goes, Oh, that's cute. Kind of like that one Warner Brothers cartoon with the dog and the kitten. And <laughs> the he just goes <laughs> And he just goes back to sleep. Oh. And that's it. It is comforting. The world is a nice place. They they plant vegetables and the spirits help the vegetables grow. They wait for the bus and the spirits wait with them. It is a film that is for children. Mm-hmm. Which is also not something we saw a lot of on the list. Although this did make it. There's not a lot of kids' movies. Movies yeah. designed with children in mind. But it doesn't do what I think so many uh, uh, children's movies do, live action or animated. Which is just jangle keys. Mm. Incident. Sound. Distraction. Distraction. This is here to keep you busy while your parents cook dinner. Hmm. This is a movie that is here to assure children that the world is a wonderful place. It is not a place that is devoid of worry. It is Mm -hmm. not a place that is devoid of any hardship. But it is a place that will nourish you. Mm -hmm. And if you just bother to look, you're going to find absolute magic. It is one of the most comforting movies anyone has ever conceived of, let alone made. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Lovable. Lovable absolutely reassuring in a way that it's just, a, it's a warm hug. And I mean that, and <laughs> yeah. that. That sounds like a cliche. It's like, no, it just, it makes you feel better. And that's yeah. something that we forget that cinema can do sometimes it can yeah. just be nice and every once in a while it doesn't happen yeah. often every once in a while you have a movie that's it's like patterson is, is like the live action equivalent it's just nice <laughs> everything's nice pa- but it doesn't feel false patterson or paddington no both paddington paddington has that like ah oh, but then nicole kidman's gonna kill me stuff mm. patterson is like oh no the cupcakes fell like that's <laughs> that's that's the level of drama that yeah, we're dealing yeah. with uh and that's fine I love these kinds of quiet, reassuring motion pictures, and they don't get enough attention because uh, more severe films often take up all the space. Yeah. This
0: is one of the best. Arguably. I, I appreciate films that can calm you down. Yeah. kind of. Which I need. You know, I am an yeah. neurotic mess. Uh, yeah, there's, there's slow cinema out there. Yeah, not all of it works though, for me, though. Yeah. All right. All right, what's your next pick? Uh... My next pick is actually about uh, disaffection. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to get... Uh, Hamlet is, is a film from the 1990s, but I wanted to get something that was... Uh, Exemplify the era I grew up in. so sure. Something a little bit more personal. Which,
1: Hamlet is great, but it's not 90s. It's, not, it, it's yeah.
0: a 90s film, but it's not a 90s did film. Did you pick
1: Hackers? I
0: did not pick Hackers. Okay. I was about to say... I would have been fine with it. I would have been like, <laughs> that's a bold choice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was... I, was, I, <laughs> I would <laughs> admire somebody who... Would, was bold enough to put Hackers on the best movies of all time. Like, I love Hackers, all right? We all love Hackers.
1: I'll hackers people... is not one
0: of the best movies of all time. Well, <laughs> no.
1: Okay. Well, William, no. All right.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't have thought it. No. no.
1: Anyway, what did you pick?
0: But uh, Well, I wanted a film that sort of encapsulated a, a certain kind of detachment that was happening with Generation X in, okay. in the early 1990s. Uh, so I chose Slacker, Richard okay. Linklater's film. I've actually never seen Slacker. You're you're a bad Gen X. You're not I a know. Gen Xer, but no, um, I'm not. I, I think you're. I'm just you're a on the cusp of, but, uh, I'm
1: just on the cusp of millennialslash slash generation yeah. Z. I'm like okay.
0: born like just like the last year that's supposed uh, to. D- depending on which sociologist yeah. you ask, and it's all construct anyway. So it's it it all goes, construct. But uh, but no, I'm not Generation uh, X. That's that's for sure. This film is. Uh, this film is very. This film almost defined Generation X in a lot of ways. Uh, Richard Linklater uh, in Austin, Texas, wandered around and just listened to people talk. And I love that. And they're all interesting people, and they're all talking about uh a, a lot of profoundly philosophical things. Mm. And there was this notion that it kind of reached the end of something.
2: Mm.
0: That everything was over. At the end of sort of the Reagan administration, it seems like everything had failed. And now a generation of youth had been grown up was growing up in that. You look at the kind of entertainment that uh, Generation X had. It was the previous generation's entertainment. Uh, A lot of it was being remixed. Uh, The kind of entertainment we grew up with as kids, uh, like in the 1980s, was all commercial garbage. It it wasn't like some sort of exhilarating new art that was meant to enlighten us. It was be part of this corporate system. Again, like I said, uh, a
1: lot of kids entertainment mm. isn't about actually giving kids anything meaningful yeah, yeah it's about
0: distracting you or selling you things I, 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 uh, a critic i greatly admire yeah. is a video game critic named uh, yahtzee Croshaw. yeah uh d- compared it like watching uh, sort of transformers as a young boy in the 1980s yeah. it was like being hooked up to a milking machine yeah and rather than ripping off the milking machine and being proud of your freedom, you just decorated it and yeah. bragged about who had the best milking machine.
1: That was basically it. Yeah. I remember when uh, the the old Nintendo, Super Nintendo Genesis Wars. Mm-hmm. It was basically like, oh, well, I your parents can only afford to get you one. They were expensive yeah. for the time. And so you didn't just say, oh, I have a Super Nintendo. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the good version of Aladdin or Jurassic Park, but I got other cool stuff. Instead, it was like, no, mine's best because it's got a blast processor. And mm-hmm. it's like, what are, we, what are we competing
0: about? Here? There's nothing we're what are, what competing are we try, about. What are we trying to be better about? Here? We're not better about anything. We're just trying to
1: defend our capitalist choices because we can't afford to make more than one. Yeah. And so I, then that's basically like a, it. It's you're defending the toy line that you like. Yeah. I, I feel so like uh,
0: something like Slacker points out that uh, people are being uh, sort of born and raised in this sort of corporate milieu and they're. Take too, a drink. <laughs> take a drink. And they're too educated to let it slide. Yeah. Uh, so they write these. very rather sort of noble, sometimes very rambling uh, essays and monologues about how how exhilarating it f- can feel to just sort of withdraw. And uh, there's actually a line in this movie. Um, uh, let me uh, look up the actual uh, context for it. But uh, it's... it's Somebody, uh, the, the sort of main character, if there is one, there's like a character that we come back to every once in a while who wanders through okay. and they go to a yard sale and somebody says, Hey, do you want to buy uh like a saying? Mm. It's like, put a, give me a dollar and you can take like, it, it's sort of like a fortune out of a fortune cookie. Right. And he pulls out the card and, uh, he reads it. And this is the thesis of the movie. Uh, he says, withdrawing in disgust is not the same thing as Apathy.
2: Mm. This is
0: a generation who, they're not apathetic. It's not that they don't care. It's that the world is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, this is a movie where a character uh, decides to go on a long rant about the reproductive system of Smurfs. Because that's also the kind of crap we're growing up with. I feel like Richard Linklater was right in the middle middle of all of this. In the middle of this sort of Texas scene. This sort of little art haven. And uh, a really sort of scary uh, place to uh, be raised. Alex Jones, yeah, the maniac Alex Jones who owes yeah. a billion dollars for lying about shootings and shit. Yeah, he's in Richard Linklater's movies because he was he was kind of like a local kook at the time.
1: Yeah, no one really thought he'd be mm. taken that seriously. Yeah. yeah, like
0: he's in Waking Life. He's one of the. I guess it's a nightmare now. He also shows up in uh, uh, very briefly in A Scanner Darkly. Yeah. Uh, so there's like some scary things that he was reacting to, but he was also just trying to capture a very particular type of generational aimlessness that I think is experienced not just by Gen X, but by teenagers the world over, by young 20-somethings the world over. The first time you're let loose into the world and you feel like there's nothing in front of you. Uh, and I, I feel like Slacker is trying to celebrate the power of, of being lazy, (laughs) of not engaging in the system. I feel like there's a lot going on in Slacker, and it also gives me a lot of just warm fuzzies about certain things about the 1990s that don't exist anymore. Uh, But yeah, I dig it. I I really, really dig it. And I I feel like um, it should be given more of a do as more than just sort of a a generational uh, poem, but also something very vital about... The way young people interact with the world. Fair enough. Uh, if I could, I'd put it on the same line as uh film, Summertime, which is one of the best films of last year. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. No, wait, was it... Was it Summertime? Is that what it's called? Summertime, yeah. I'm not crazy. Okay, yeah, that is right. But about the poets in Venice? Yeah, oh, yeah. that movie to pieces. That's a great movie. Yeah,
1: sorry. For some reason, I thought it was called something else, and I was like, wait, no. Because okay. there's a couple of movies with very similar titles that came out at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got kind of messed up. I don't know. Uh Brilliant. My next pick, uh, is a film that is frequently considered one of the best movies of all time because it is,
0: it is actually Alfred Hitchcock's best movie, Rear Mm. Window. Oh, if you like Rear Window so much, why don't you marry it? alas. (laughs) I like Rear Window fine, I'm just giving it that. Rear Rear Window is, is, uh, Hollywood thriller, it's a popcorn movie.
1: It is, but it is, it is one of the best, Mm. and, um... My
0: god, it's a fucking brilliant...
1: Uh Rear Window stars James Stewart as a photographer who has broken his leg and is confined to his apartment uh, and he is bored out of his mind so he started spying on his neighbors and every single neighbor that he witnesses has a story that they're going through
2: mm.
1: and every single story reflects on his own life are, uh, Lonely people and people in horrible marriages that's him and his anxieties about his girlfriend played by the amazing Grace Kelly failing artists uh just every single thing he's afraid of Mm. is out there and then he sees that there is a man who is uh very unhappy in his marriage his his wife is confined to her bed she yells at him constantly and he he looks at him like ah that's why i'm not gonna get married and then He thinks, he doesn't see it, but he thinks (laughs) the guy killed his wife because he sees a lot of stuff that's really difficult to explain and then the wife's not there anymore. And he keeps trying to sell everyone on this story that he has come up with based off of very circumstantial evidence at best. Mm. And nobody believes him until they start seeing it for themselves. Until they start looking out the window Mm. along with him. And they start gradually buying along. And it's not clear until the end whether he was uh, uh, just projecting Mm. or if he was right but in the wrong way or if he was just 100% right the whole time. Rear Window is a Cracker Jack thriller. It is all confined to one apartment. The camera never leaves the apartment. It's not a bunch of telephone lenses, but we're stuck in there with him. And we're looking out the window. And the window is a movie screen. That's what it is. We are presented with other worlds and we look at those worlds and we say to ourselves, I relate to that Uh for my own reasons. And here we get to see the person, we get to see through his eyes as he watches every single conceivable movie. And he comes up with his elaborate headcanon about why this guy is a killer even though there's no actual evidence on screen (laughs) to support that fact. And it's about him trying to prove his headcanon and trying to convince people that yes, I swear to God, That's how Smurfs reproduce.
0: (laughs) Similar concept. It's Very similar. It's a movie. Filling in the gaps yourself. It's
1: a movie about movies that never tells you it's about movies. And I absolutely love that about it. mm -hmm. While it is also just an incredibly suspenseful, wonderful thriller. Every single thing he sees, we see it too, makes you think the guy killed his wife. Mm -hmm. Explaining it to anyone doesn't track. You have to see it for yourself. Just giving someone the gist of a movie isn't going to give them that movie. They mm-hmm. need to witness it for themselves. Yeah. Um, Grace Kelly is
0: radiant. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever it. been
1: filmed as beautifully as Grace Kelly is in this movie.
0: Oh, except for Maggie Chung and. and uh, okay, fair enough. In in move on. Okay, you know what? Touche. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's the other one. Um, yeah, he, Hitchcock made a lot of thrillers, and some of them are just great thrillers. Some of them mm-hmm. uh, touch upon. Deeper subjects. Yeah, I, Rear Window explores it better than I think any of his other films.
0: What I appreciate about Rear Rear Window is actually how impeccably made it is. Yeah, uh, it's it, just a tightly constructed it, film. the uh, The whole like square that Jimmy Stewart is looking out over yeah. is, uh, this wonderful uh, artificial artificial construction, and the way uh, he stages the half glimpsed murder, like the way mm. action takes place just between the space and between the the windows. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: Like you're filling in it's, the gaps because uh, you can imagine what's there, but yeah. you're not actually seeing it, so you can't be sure.
0: So yeah, like, and and he, he's that's very good about giving you
1: just too little information, and that's and that is without cutting mm. the essence of editing. Yeah, where we cut two things together, and in our heads we piece it together. Oh, that's in the same room, or oh, time has passed. Yeah, or oh, we saw the knife go down, and now we see the dead body. I didn't see the person get stabbed but I know it happened in Mm. my head. I'm putting it together. And he's showing you that without doing any editing whatsoever. My God, the craft, Mm. just the absolute stunning craft on display. Mm. Um, four Hitchcock films made the, the sight and sound bowl, uh,
0: they're good films Rear Window was one of them Rear Window
1: right? was one of them Rear Window was, was the, uh, the Second highest It was I think it was Vertigo was Vertigo Rear Window yeah. uh, North by Northwest And what was the other one? Psycho With Psycho of course Psycho was Yeah Psycho there, yeah. was in, before North by Northwest I'm actually a little surprised North by Northwest made it Because that's A f- fucking great movie But that's That's a pretty much Just a James Bond film In a lot of ways It's, it's yeah, a big old um, Hollywood thriller I would argue that These made lots more Interesting and complex works Like Um uh, the Birds, or Rope, yeah, or, yeah. Uh, hell, fuck it, The Trouble with Harry. Like, he's made some, <laughs> some very interesting movies. Uh, and I think Rear Window is just at this perfect sort of spot between incredibly insightful art house, powerful story, lots to say, and it's a great murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How can you yeah. deny it? Anyway,
0: what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick... Uh... You'll notice that we're talking about these movies as their commentary on movies. And I think you One and I are just more. sort of interested in cinema as a media study of itself, just because mm-hmm. we're obsessed with it. And we like when films sort of turn back on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my next film is actually uh, gets to the very heart of the matter. It has, is actually not just about the way cinema functions, but why we have it, how it relates to uh, our capacity of remembering things. Okay. How cinema is meant to rebuild our memories for us, okay. and how those memories ah. are meant to solidify us as beings as everything else falls away. This is a Hirokazu Koreata film. This is Hirokazu Koreata's yep. Afterlife. Yeah, um,
1: Luca, stop climbing the, the screen door, buddy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Climbing the door, yeah, right he's like,
0: look at me. Pay attention I'm to talking me. Talking about afterlife. You want to talk about afterlife? I want to talk yeah. about snacks. Afterlife uh, opens in a, a remote cabin in the country, sort of like a, a community center. There's yeah. some like community workers there, and a bunch of people sort of gather in, and they gather at these picnic tables. And it's explained to them, you guys are all dead. You've all died. Yeah. This is the afterlife. This is what it looks like. And here's how this works. We are, we who work here at this station, are filmmakers. You have a, a, a finite amount of time, like a couple of days, to think of the one memory you most cherish from your life. You'll tell it to us. And we as filmmakers will make a movie of that yeah. a very brief, short film, maybe about 30 seconds long. Uh, and we'll, you'll go into a screening room, you'll watch the movie we made. And when the lights come up, back up, you'll be gone. You'll have vanished. You'll have ascended. And the only thing you will take with you is the film is that memory everything else about you will be gone. Mm. You'll essentially be living in a, a, a repeated film loop of your favorite memory. That's what movies are, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, They're the memory. They're your yeah. own memories. They're so human experience. We decide what's important to capture. Re- and we capture it forever. Remixed can. and put back at you. First of all, that's just a fun thing because immediately you're thinking of what you would choose. Of course. Yeah. So as these care, all these like supporting characters, mostly played by non-actors. Right. Uh, are going through their own memories. It's fun to watch them sort of reminisce. There's a little bit of a comic moment when one old guy is so like, well, like, I don't really have like one memory, like a big one that I take with me. Like yeah. I have a few pleasant moments, but don't make a movie about that. Yeah. Uh, so like they keep like, somehow uh, the fil- these like filmmakers have access to like photo books and like things that would help like jog his memory. Well, yeah. how about this? How about this? Uh, then there's uh, a bit where a teenage girl says, she's like, 14 or so. It's like, I want my happy memory to be Disneyland. I went there with yeah. my friends. I had a wonderful time. So, can you do Disneyland? And they're like, Yeah, we can do Disneyland. We do it all the time. Like, yeah. people your age constantly choose that. And when she hears that, she's like, Hang on. Maybe not Disneyland. And she has to go back and rethink it. And it's yeah. like, oh, I want something a little bit more profound than just like the day at Disneyland. Right. Uh, and of course, eventually it goes to like what the filmmakers are actually thinking about all yeah. of this. Cinema, yeah, remixes the human experience. Hmm. Get, human memory is not like a movie. It's not this linear series of events. Well, not all movies are linear, but yeah, fair enough. But but the human mind isn't linear, is my so point. Sure. Uh, we've invented time as a way of making sense of the input we're getting. Yeah. But when we close our eyes, the big moments come up first. The happy memories, the sad memories, the fear, uh, the big emotional moments. We live our lives out of order. Cinema puts it in order for us. Mm-hmm. Gives it structure. A- Afterlife is about that structure. Yeah. Uh, and it is sweet. It's very calming. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cerebral in a way. And uh, goes to nothing less than the heart of cinema itself.
1: Nice. Uh,
0: it's excellent. It's uh, the, one of the best films of the 90s. I'm surprised people don't talk about it more.
1: I uh, This is a film that mm-hmm. I have not seen. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about it a lot. Yeah. And I was thinking about it and I realized I think one of the reasons why I haven't seen it. And you talked about how uh Luca, get off the, the screen door, buddy. <laughs> we talked about how like you you hear the premise and your mind gets excited. And it's true. I think about it every time you bring it up. What would I what what's the memory I would pick? And it wouldn't be Luca on the screen door because you're gonna break that screen door and I don't wanna have to pay for that. Luca. Luca, you're a big cat. Don't Okay. Do you need me to, here. T- would you yeah. please take care of the cat? talk
0: about afterlife
1: Thank you. Here's, here's, a, here's why I think I haven't been as gung ho about watching afterlife even though it sounds amazing and you've always talked it up as being amazing there's another film that I came close to making my list uh, that also has a vision of the afterlife that has mm. for better or worse but I think better uh, shaped my own view of if not the afterlife then at least life in context Okay. Uh, and that is uh, Albert Brooks is defending your life you've yeah, talked about this one a lot this a is lot a very important movie to me and it's not in some respects the most impressive movie ever mm-hmm. it's not particularly gorgeously photographed but it and it's not even it's not even super funny it's actually very dry mm-hmm. but its premise of the afterlife as first off religiously neutral
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you know it doesn't really matter what denomination you were or what you believed or what you didn't believe you end up here anyway. And what you end up having to do is look over your life. We show you documentary footage of your life, and Luca get off the screen door. Oh my god! Again, put- he loves it so. Just close close the other doors, so he can't get to the screen door. He's gonna you're gonna you're gonna tear through the screen door, buddy. Not gonna get our security deposit back. Anyway, you showed footage from your life, and you were being judged, but you're not being judged on. Whether or not you adhered to a series of dogmatic rules. You're being judged by basically whether you lived life to the fullest. And the movie uh, uh, reduces that to its baseline component. Did you live your life in fear? Where did you let fear run your life and prevent you from doing things that would make you happy, productive, make the world a better place? Did you make the most of it? And I think about this constantly. Just this very simple baseline thing. Am I living my life in in such a way that I, when it all is said and done, I can say, "Yeah, I give it a go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gave it.
1: A, I gave the old a try." I can't always say yes to that. So, in any case, I don't want to get too far off into the weeds here. It's just. That movie fantasy about what the end of your life is and how you have to look back over your life has been so formative to me. I don't want another movie to compete with it. (laughs) I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, I'm not going to lie. But it sounds wonderful. uh, And I know you've talked it up
0: endlessly about uh, how much you love it. So it sounds great. I wrote about it recently. Yeah. Well, damn. Well, I recommend it. All right. What's your next pick? My next pick is a film. And we got a few left. So we got a couple left. And, speed, speed I was. I was, I was and, and,
1: and It'll be pretty easy because my top three are very famous movies. All right. Uh, it's a film that I think you know. When we talk about how the Sight and Sound poll, you know, ch- evolves over time, every decade new films show up. Uh, there's perhaps no better example of a movie that found its audience over time than Frank Capra's "It's a Wonderful Life."
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: It's another movie that feels like you know, kind of obvious. Like everyone knows it's great. Um, much like Citizen Kane, watch it again, it is alive, that movie. That movie's got everything. It's got wonderful romance. It's got witty comedy. It's got bitter tragedy. It's got absolute wonderful underdog defying the odds, taking down the capitalist system. Yeah. It's really socialist, actually, which I think is pretty amazing. And at its heart, more than anything else, it's a story about a suicide intervention. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, James Stewart's character, he doesn't feel like he's lived a wonderful life. He's, his life has been spent ignoring his dreams in order to help other people and mm-hmm. it has not paid off and now everything is lost he can't he's lost a lot of money he can't afford to pay bills he might be going to jail and he is so at the end of the of his rope he's about to jump off a bridge into an icy river and kill himself mm. at which point we meet a couple of angels and those angels say yeah we gotta help this George Bailey guy And so they explain how George Bailey got here. We see his entire life in vivid detail. And then after we see every single thing that happened to this guy, and it's an incredibly exciting, wonderful, funny, romantic, thrilling story, there's the big twist. And this is just one of the great fairy tales now, which is the angel shows him what it would have been like if he'd never been born. Uh You're going to throw away your life. Here's what would happen if you weren't around. And here's how many things would have been worse. And it's a staggering number of things. Because while you may have made a lot of sacrifices, you cared about people and you did the best you could and people appreciated it and you changed lives. Mm. And as a suicide intervention, that's very, very powerful. And we don't give enough credit for just how dark this movie gets. Mm. We always think about the saccharine ending. We don't realize how much it's earned. And how dark it goes before then. It's a movie that encompasses all of existence, including basically the potential of afterlife. And manages to take itself completely seriously while being very witty. And very silly sometimes. Uh, It invented a new kind of snow. (laughs) It's cornflakes. No, it wasn't. They'd already had cornflakes. Problem with corn... They they had oh, right. Cinema was, Snow before it It's a Wonderful else, Life. Yeah. They won an... The only Academy Award won by It's a Wonderful Life was a Technical Achievement Award because it invented a new kind of snow. Before then, the stuff they would use for snow on camera were bleached cornflakes, which looked fine, but they were so loud when you walked on it that it ruined the sound. Also, apparently, because they were cornflakes, they attracted deer to the set. <laughs> which I only just learned about recently. I think that's hilarious. Um... They also sometimes used asbestos Yeah Mm. So what they developed for its wonderful life Was a non-toxic substance That looks just like snow Mm. Falls just like snow You can walk on it and it's not even loud And it changed cinema snow forever I I think that's neat Hey you know what Snow (laughs) You're filming in Southern California You you wanted to snow on cue Mm. Come on you can't Not gonna happen Anyway uh, Also kind of chilly it's a bit, a bit cold, yeah. a bit inconvenient. Anyway, it's a wonderful life. It's one of the great fairy tales, and I think it's, it is just impeccable, and I
0: love the pieces. Like Seven Samurai, like another Frank Capra film, Lady for a Day, uh, yeah. th- the story has sort of bled into culture.
1: Yeah. this uh, Even if you the, haven't seen the, the movie, you know the, the story.
0: The... Uh, Reassessment of your life And uh, the conceit At the very end of the movie And it's actually A very small part of the movie Yeah it's, it's where, only like uh, The last Ge- 20 minutes Yeah man. where George yeah. Bailey Gets to see what the world Would look like without him Yeah that's become um, a cliche But it's yeah. always
1: good Yeah If yeah. done right you can, you can do it straight You can do it You can undermine it Married mm-hmm. with children the gag in the, so the Christmas. World, the world is better without you. Yeah, and- Bal Bundy's depressed at Christmas, and Sam Kinison shows up as his angel and says, "I'm going to show you what the world would be like without you." Al and everyone's happy. They're rich. They're successful. They're more okay. intelligent. They're more worldly. And he and Sam Kinison's but- like, "Well, this all fucked up." And, well, I, well, and I made a huge mistake luckily, here. I totally uh, get it.
0: Luckily, Al Bundy is such a spiteful fuck yeah. that he decides to go back to his old life just to spite those other people. Just I, to ruin I, their lives. I, I want to make sure you're unhappy because I don't <laughs> want that to...
1: <laughs> Fucking great. Mm. Anyway, uh, absolutely brilliant movie. It, it's That
0: it is considered a classic is deserved. Mm. And there you go. Moving on. What's number two? Oh, yeah. My um, number two. Uh, this is a film... that I I wish I had encountered earlier in my... We've been talking a long time. My voice is going a little bit. We'll we'll try to wrap it up pretty quick. It's uh, from the early 2000s. Okay. uh, And it's one that I only encountered kind of recently when I went through sort of a retrospective of Simon Lang. uh, Oh, yeah. Really wonderful filmmaker, uh, master of slow cinema. It's called Goodbye, Dragon Inn. Okay, yeah. Uh, Goodbye, Dragon Inn uh, is about uh, a screening Mm -hmm. of the movie... Dragon Inn. I'm getting you some water. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> which is a 1967 Taiwanese, like, wuxia movie. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, taking place at this movie theater, which is giving its very last showing. The movie theater is going to close down. Tsai ming uh moves his camera around this space... With such intimacy. And it is this big cavernous theater. The sound isn't very good. Mm. It's very echoey. Your water, sir. Thank you. Yes. There's a lot of uh, uh, back hallways and corridors where people occasionally get up and go around. Not a lot of dialogue. You mm. get to see uh, the uh, the box office worker. She's mm. just sort of sitting in there. She makes some dinner. So everything's very damp in timing liang movies. There's like a lot of tiled floors that are constantly flooding, like indoor flooding is a big sort of theme in sort of his, in his work. And it's a, a poem for a dying cinema,
2: mm.
0: not just the theater, but I think the whole art form in a way, how uh, a certain kind of old cinema is dying out. And one of the last scenes of the movie is uh, two of the people who are in the film, have decided to go see this movie. It's nearly empty. This theater. Yeah, people aren't flocking to see this thing. Been in out fact, for a while. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a young man in the theater who's clearly there for some kind of sexual connection. Right. And there's a lot of like sexual tension between he and this one other uh, one other man in the theater, and he ends up like sneaking off, and they end up like sharing a cigarette. But he's like a little too shy to say anything. He's like, "Hey, are you something physical?" Is something gonna happen between us uh, doesn't say anything the other guy just says, "Hey, you know what this theater's haunted they kind of look at each other for a long time okay, I'm getting back to the movie now <laughs> <laughs> a lot of feelings that just sort of float in the air yeah in this movie uh th- this is this is an example it's it's a, a short movie it's only about eighty eight minutes but uh it it feels like you're experiencing something that's happening over the course of an evening nice and I'm not sure if you've ever been to a movie theater that's closing down. Yeah. Or a venue or a restaurant or just like a beloved local institution. It's like
1: transforming into a liminal space. People start caring less and it starts Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. You can feel the dilapidation coming in.
0: You feel the dilapidation. There's also this weird sort of tragic yet kind of weirdly halcyon letting go feeling. Yeah. It's really ineffable. Uh, it's, It's... so and that that's something that's in this as a movie. Yeah. It's like that feeling is is drifting off of the screen very gently at you. Mm. Uh it's a, an appreciation of those spaces. Mm. It's also about sort of the importance well, not really the importance just the experience of letting go of those spaces. Right. Uh and timing Lang is saying that there's something about cinema that is constantly drifting away from us because they're chronological, right? Yeah. You absorb them and they vanish.
1: They exist over a set yeah. amount of time. You can
0: say, okay, you go back and you watch the same print again and it's, yeah. uh, they're alive again. And that's, but the they die of, first. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's also this like constant state of death and renewal mm-hmm. within each individual film with mm-hmm. each and within each, the, the spaces where the films exist. Yeah. That's gonna hit really hard in a time when cinemas are retracting in general. Fair point. We're in twenty twenty two. This is on uh, after the the great lockdowns of COVID mm-hmm. shut down a lot of the theaters. Watching a movie about how cinemas are retracting in a time when cinemas are retracting. Yeah. Makes you reconsider the entire medium a, a little bit. Fair enough. I call, I call it the great really,
1: theatrical collapse. That's yeah, what we're there, going there's into something right
0: now. deeply, deeply, even though this was made in 2003, yeah, it's staggeringly relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah. And it is very nostalgic, but not in a sentimental kind of a way, mm. just in an, an acknowledgement of a certain kind of peaceful entropy yeah. that happens within the arts. Yeah. Uh, Golly, I love it. All right, well, my my number two
1: pick is a film that didn't make the top 100 and maybe more than any other, mm. I'm surprised. Because mm. I really don't get it. This mm. one I feel like should have been a slam dunk. <clears throat> uh, it is uh, one of the great uh, uh, generators of iconic images. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of the most enduring films we've ever had. Uh, and uh, frankly, it's one of the pluckiest in a lot of ways. And this is F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu. Oh, I nearly put this on my list. Nosferatu, the, uh, the adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula that was almost sued into non-existence because they changed the names, and they changed the title, and nothing else, and every print of the movie was supposed to be destroyed. And it wasn't, and thank God. Because this movie actually gave us a lot. Especially in the horror genre, but in terms of uh, dreams in terms of uh, use of shadow. Uh, in terms of the vampire myth, we've talked about this a lot, but the idea that vampires are destroyed by sunlight, that, that's not from a book. That's from this movie. <laughs> I mean, much, like, uh, much like werewolves are killed by by silver. That's from the wolf man. That's from the wolf man. They just mm. made that shit up for the movie, and now we take it as like part of the legend. It's not. We, I can tell you when they made that up. Nosferatu is so powerful that we now consider it part of myth. Actual myth of vampires. Um, anyway, the plot, you know the plot. It's it's Dracula. But FW Renel's version of Dracula is not a sexy seductive beast. He's a rat monster. <laughs> he's he's disease. He's he is an absolutely grotesque, plague ridden creature. His existence is not without sadness. He's lonely. Uh, but he brings with him horror. Mm -hmm. And there are so many images in this movie of the creature, played by the great Max Schreck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actual vampire, by the way. Actual vampire, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. according to the movie Shadow of a Vampire. (laughs) Great movie, by the way. Uh, But uh, just him existing and moving Mm -hmm. that are just uh, so unbelievably terrifying that they Mm -hmm. feel like they're going to inject themselves into your nightmares permanently. Um, It is stunning. It is exciting, I saw someone post something the other day, or maybe it was today, about um, name the most challenging movie you can think of. No silent movies as that is a given. And I was like, whoa, let's let's interrogate that last part. <laughs> because while I appreciate that silent movies are a style that everyone's used to, mm-hmm. they're designed to be accessible. And, Everything and, happens on screen. You don't even need to read the title cards most of the time. They don't even, they don't even always have them. Like, it's just, pure visual storytelling. That should be the most accessible. Mm. And Nosferatu, my God, does it still play. Like, you can watch it today, even if you've never seen a silent film before. It would be a great introduction to the silent film uh, particular uh, uh, medium.
0: Which I think it was for me. It might have been the first silent film I saw was was Nosferatu.
1: Mine was was Metropolis, which is also great, and Mm. at least a runner-up, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, Nosferatu is... The horror movie, mm-hmm. and I love that it managed to not only mm-hmm. survive this long, but survive in the face of capitalism.
2: Yeah, this, basically, this, like this you don't have the rights to this story. Down, like,
1: no, we we did it anyway, and we and we outlasted you. Mm-hmm. And now no one cares because it's public domain. Hundred years old this this year, by the way. That's Nosferatu. right, and Nosferatu, this and 20, that's 19, how the Sight and Sound poll repays it. Slap in the face on its 100th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. No, this this wow. this is one of the best movies ever made. Period. In my, fact, like the Beta making my number one.
0: I guess if if I do have a complaint about Nosferatu, yeah, not, not that I have very many. It's and it's my complaint of any Dracula story. Yeah, Jonathan Harker is a wet blanket. Well, yeah, uh, the that is the like the main male character. Yeah. Uh, he has so little to do in the story such mm-hmm. why are we looking at it through his perspective when he's so uninteresting
1: uh, I think I think part of the reason for that is that Dracula especially the novel and early Dracula adaptations They were epistolaries uh, well yeah. they, a they were epistolaries but B the vampire hadn't been a cinematic cliche yet yeah so having someone just sort of blithely walk into this horror show it's like um when you're watching a slasher movie, And, like, an old man says, don't go up to Camp Blood, you're all doomed. Doomed. And all the kids go, well, no, I'm just going to go because you're just a crazy guy. It's got a death curse! Yeah, like, we know because we're watching a movie how cliché that is and how, of course, that's setting everything up. In in real life, you would assume that that person is delusional. Hmm. So, Harker just exists because before vampires were a cliché it made sense to have someone who was that much of a disbeliever and ignoring all the obvious warning signs. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I accept that. Um, in any case, it's a masterpiece. What's your... Uh, and now we're at, we're at your number one. My number one.
0: one? Uh, the best movie of all time. This is one I've been talking about a lot recently. It was uh, remade this year. So, of course, I have to talk about All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, great pick. Uh, Louis Milestone's version, I imagine. Louis Milestone's yeah. 1930 version of All Quiet on the Western Front. Um as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about it briefly about a hidden life, um, I, I, I believe in pacifism just deeply personally. Uh, war is an aberration that needs to be, uh, rid from our systems. And I feel like all quiet on the Western front is one of the precious few feature films we have that is willing to look war in the face and say, that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think even more so than the book because I read the mm. book in school. It's been a while since I've read I it. Think I've ever, but, um, I don't think I've read the book actually. Now that I don't think about it. Weird. Was, yeah. But somehow a, it didn't come up. Okay. A, but yeah. Okay. But um, yeah. It's it's about uh, a young soldier, a teenager, who is given the rousing speech, given the jingoism, mm-hmm. given the patriotism. You go off, you fight in war, and you are a, a good citizen. That makes you. It makes you. Mm. It makes you great. Yeah. It is
1: a noble thing to do and you will return a hero, thank God.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. that that's and that's it's like this through line. You mm-hmm. you go to a dangerous place, you live and you get to come back and you're considered a hero. That's that's the way yeah. this construct we've decided to to build for ourselves. And populates. and young people who buy into that, mm. they think about coming back a hero. Mm.
1: No one does a great job maybe aside from all quiet on the Western Front of pointing out that everything in the middle is the absolute worst experience it's, in the in the universe it,
0: it, it's hell is what it is yeah. and there it, it's just about this gritty horrendous survival it's about the death and filth of war mm. uh, it's it's violent in yeah. a way that you won't see in a lot of movies from 19, in the 1930s uh, it's uh, j- just harrowing and hopeless the over the course of the film, you get to see the life drain out of everybody. The people who survive still die.
2: Yeah.
0: The, just the, the part of them that matters doesn't live. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time we get to the end of the movie, we get to see that our main character, this young teenager, maybe a year and a half has passed. Yeah. And he's like not even 20 and already jaded, embittered, wounded forever. And uh, of course, the, the most damning moment is when he returns to the old classroom or is given the speech, okay. and the same speech is being given to a new generation of kids. Mm-hmm. And he charges in and just said, essentially, as the "this is all bullshit" speech. Yeah. and and the mm.
1: and the professor is offended. Yeah, and it's like,
0: no, 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 we need to sacrifice them. Mm. Why? What? <laughs> yeah. What's okay. in it for you, asshole? And, and the uh, yeah. and the movie says there's nothing in it for anyone. Yeah. There's nothing to be won here. And I feel yeah. like uh what was our greatest we, failing? When when yeah. we watched and I the reason I'm citing this film it's not just because that appe- that idea appeals to me. Yeah, it's okay that it uh, does though. Uh we've watched a lot of movies from the 1940s recently. Yes. And we watched a lot of movies from the 1940s that are actually the very opposite of this. Yeah, that actually venerate the soldiers' experience.
1: They wanted to uh, encourage people to a go to war and b feel good about people that they yeah. know who have gone to war.
0: Yeah, like um, there was Twelve O'Clock High. What yep. was the other one about the soldiers? Oh, um, uh, Battleground. Battleground. We talk about Battleground. We talk about recently. Battleground.
1: Uh, Sergeant York, maybe mm-hmm. the ultimate. Uh, yeah, like uh, recruitment
0: tool. Yeah. Uh, oh
1: my god. Yeah. So
0: there, in, in the wake of World War Two. Now, that was made uh, in the wake of World War One. It was nineteen thirty. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: in the wake of World War Two, uh, America's tune had changed, and all of a sudden, yeah. war became a much more noble endeavor. That cinema. Specifically, helps to bolster mm-hmm. those ideas—not just about World War II, but about war in general yeah. being a, a vital and exhilarating part of the human experience. I think it, is something we can pin directly on film.
1: I think it's a huge part mm-hmm. of it. I think it's—it's it's easier to do that because you know we didn't gather with the Vietnam War uh, mm-hmm. when there's a decisive victory. Yeah, like yeah. U- U.S. won World War Two, <laughs> maybe
0: not in the best well, ways, when, but we, they we, did win. By the time we got there, yeah, um. yeah,
1: again, like, not. <laughs> uh, hey, there's so much to fucking criticize. My point but, is that when, at the end made, of it all, U.S. Yeah. Is feel, the U.S. was s- s- feeling pretty good about itself. Oh. Maybe not all for the right reasons. Uh, so that whole thing was like that was a great war. Mm. That was that was that war was the
0: best. <laughs> It was like about how great that war was. Oh. And they kept doing
1: it over and over again. Hmm. Weird.
0: So uh, I feel like All Quiet on the Western Front. It was difficult me for me to watch those World War II movies mm-hmm. because the cat was already out of the bag yeah. like they'd already said no we, this is not something noble. this is not a good endeavor. This is a tragic failing of everything. yeah let's not why are you making these movies about how everybody gets to survive? yeah that there's going to be a happy ending to war
1: And it manages to do that without everyone's making war seem exciting, which a no. lot of other anti-war films struggle with. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, just uh, like it's just it's too dramatic. It's too interesting. Saving Private Ryan. Mm. It's so visceral. You yeah, know, it's, it's like, like that
0: that opening sequence is it's incredible. Exci- like it's violent, and but you it's see exciting. people.
1: You see like Barry Pepper and that bell tower, mm. and he's like, "Oh, he's such a great sniper." Yeah, no. get him, Barry Pepper. And they're like. Oh wait, what's this movie actually about about again? <laughs> War being bad? Yeah, it's not really coming across all the time, is it? It's about trying to survive this horrible yeah, thing? That's not it's uh, it's it's a mixed message sometimes. Yeah. And Elkwine on the Western Front manages to stay on point and it's fucking brilliant. It's yeah, one of the best yeah. movies
0: agreed. Um so my, that's that's the best yeah. movie of all time. Uh my number one, say it with me. Uh Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> it's it's again I, again, I can't fall in. We've already talked about you.
1: it. I've talked about it at length, I've done multiple podcasts. Uh, did we do a commentary track for it once? I think we did, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't need to go into any more detail. It's it's one of the best... It, I, as I mentioned earlier, every time I see it, I notice something else and something special. It's mm-hmm. endlessly thoughtful. And again, it's made by a fucking... Much like uh, Jean Dielman, directed by a 25-year-old. Oh, jeez, yeah. Yes, yeah. She was a kid. Yeah. Then they, somehow they managed to... Very different films, very different eras, mm. very different filmmakers. Yeah. Um, Capture something uh, uh, timeless and powerful hmm. at a very young, wunderkind esque age. Um, Sorry, that's it. As again, did you have any runners up you wanted to run out there? Or? Uh,
0: some other films that I nearly put on my list. It wasn't very long because I didn't want to belabor no. the point. Could, no, no, I could you know make yeah. hundreds, but uh, I, I almost put, I almost put Nosferatu on mine. Yeah, I almost put uh, Hidden Life on mine. Okay, uh, I almost put Top Hat on my list. Okay. That's uh, a Fred Astaire one. musical, yeah, just that's great. It, just a delightful Hollywood musical from the 30s, and mm. Casablanca. Yeah, I feel like Casablanca is not like it's it's. It's another one where Hollywood it's, it's so obvious system it's idealized, so great. but yeah, yeah, it's like one of those. Everyone knows it's so great that I yeah. think sometimes
1: we forget to invite it to prom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of films I, I, I added "Born in Flames" to the list because I was like, oh yeah, shit, I fucked, I fucked up. It yeah. should have been on there. Um, some of the films on my list, I think there was like 25 movies I was like debating between. Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, another one of the great okay, studio yeah, blockbusters. Yeah. Uh, Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep. Good one. I'm very glad that made the list Awesome movie uh, My favorite movie of all time I felt a little self-serving voting for it But maybe I just should have Searching for Bobby Fischer I've talked about it a lot uh, One of the best, most surreal, wonderful crime movies Branded to Kill uh, Spike, right, yeah. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing Of course uh, Maybe one of the best uh, the, the, the best noir and the best neo-noir The Third Man and Bound mm-hmm. uh, Bride of Frankenstein Okay. Uh, a movie that I would never have seriously considered until I saw a wonderful visual essay about just how this movie was trying to say something profound without having the dialogue yet uh-huh. or the support. Glenn or Glenda. I, I, I wish you had. I
0: part of I me kind you of wish I
1: had. I, I think if I was doing this list again, it would be slightly different. But in yeah. any case, this is. I went with what I would have gone with before, like the deadline. Okay. Uh, let's see. A couple other quick things. Metropolis, amazing. Uh, the 1935 of Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh Oh man, the Western Front, Duckamuck.
0: Yeah. Because short films
1: are fair game. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, one of the other great romances. Night of the Living Dead, another one of the most influential movies ever. Uh The Devils is a fucking amazing motion picture. Mm. Texas Chains and Massacre, rock a picture show, Defending Your Life. And another one more recent one, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. So uh those are that's, that's what we would have picked alright yeah my Let's, list might uh, have been slightly different if we, if we talked more about it rather than doing this thing where we didn't mm-hmm. my list might have evolved I think I think I, it I might think have changed so a little too, bit. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but um, regardless yeah that, that's what would have happened well that, and that's it thanks for listening thank you everybody for listening uh, again check out the site and sound uh, poll it's very easy to find google it um, and watch all those movies those are all great movies there are things that are missing from that list there are things on that list that you might not agree with but they're all interesting and they all deserve to be seen Uh, and uh, make sure you stick around because in January they're going to release a lot more information including what every single person voted for and I cannot wait to check that out Um, and again feel free to email us tell us what you think anything we discussed in this episode and what your list would have been what would be your 10 greatest movies of all time maybe keep it short on this one so we can cram in as many as we can normally we don't tell you to do that Mm -hmm. but maybe not You know, one or two lines per just so we can get as many because I'd love to hear what you think uh, our email address is letters
0: at critically Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, Send us an actual physical letter. Uh, critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, don't forget to join our Patreon if you want to li- listen to this and all of our other new podcasts ad-free. We're at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You also get a bunch of bonus shows Uh, Like our show Only the best We review every single film Ever nominated For best picture Uh, All our yesterdays We review every single episode Of Star Trek ever Uh, Step me up Step me down We're reviewing every single Installment of the Step up franchise We do commentary tracks We do uh, Discord hangouts We do trivia nights With our patrons It's a lot of fun And it means a lot to us That everyone has Who has subscribed Has subscribed Yeah Because without you We couldn't keep doing it Um, Anyway Anyway Enjoy the Sound and Sound poll. We hope he gave you some extra films to enjoy uh, looking for and watching. And uh, stick around. We have more podcasts. (laughs) Anyway, bye.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.